0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic meter centimeter density. Now what this means is it is it's 22% higher than standard tungsten and 56% higher than lead. So it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances. It has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content
1: How's everybody doing? You guys hanging in there? I am. Hope you all are doing as well. Hope you're finding the silver lining during these times. And it looks like things are starting to get back to, I won't say normal, but they're ramping back up, which is good to hear. Anyways, I'm going to get right into this episode because it's a long one, but I had the distinct pleasure of being a uh, a guest on a fellow podcaster's podcast, um, Doug Glimmerveen, who is the host and the creator of the SmackDown Outdoors podcast and a new podcast called Make Fish Famous podcast? So, yeah, I'm a guest on here. We talk about everything under the sun from, you know, kind of like why I started the podcast, uh, things that are going on in each of our states, what frustrates us, what motivates us. Anyways, it was a great hangout time with Doug. He is a. Uh, a great host, and he's got a great show over there at both of his podcasts, and I highly suggest you guys listen to him. And you know what? We're going to be doing some more collabs like this in the future, and uh, hopefully do more things throughout the year together and coming together with other podcasters as well. So I hope you guys are as pumped as I am uh, for for that news. And uh, anyways, let's get right into it. Here is uh, Doug interviewing me.
2: All right, so my guest today is Lee Kleinow from the Freshwater Bite podcast, and he's from Michigan, so we kind of get an update on what's going on over there as far as, you know, the uh, situation. Can you fish? Can you not? Can you fish from a boat? Can you not? Can you fish with somebody else? It's, you know, it. I don't know. It was a mess over there, but there is... There have been some changes which is good uh we also talk about his podcast we talk about you know fishing in general it was a really good conversation and uh we're gonna try actually to work together a little bit kind of like i do with dale and patrick and you know come on to each other's shows here and there promote each other a little bit you know collaboration 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 so that is uh looking forward to that but other than that uh I think that's about all I got to say to start the show. So yeah. So here's the episode. Hopefully you enjoy it. If you don't, I'm sorry. There is a way to tell me that you don't. And that's by sending me an email, sdopodcast at gmail.com. I do want feedback, people. Whether you like or do not like the show, you have ideas, uh, you know, just let me know. Give me feedback. Um... That's kind of one thing podcasters always struggle to do is get feedback from their listeners. You know, I mean, I, 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 as far as I know, everybody loves the show. Everybody. Everybody loves it, thinks it's top-notch 100%. That cannot be accurate, can it? Am I really doing that good of a job? Hmm. Well, let me know. podcast at gmail.com and, or just send me a message on Facebook through the Facebook page, Smackdown Outdoors Podcast, So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to the show. I've run out of stuff to ramble about. Uh, Mr. Lee Kleinow of the Freshwater Bite podcast. Make sure you subscribe to his show, too. It's a pretty good one. So, Lee. um, Yes, sir. Before we get into the podcast that you have and whatever else we're going to talk about, you are from Michigan, and your governor took some, I'll just say, drastic action what is Ugh. what's the latest because I know that it was the muCC which is uh Mi- Michigan Conservation Club type of deal the, they had yeah, a lawsuit United conservation club yeah what's yep. what's the latest as far as you guys being able to go out and fish in a boat with a motor on it
1: so today's Tuesday and um, five days ago on Friday she had announced and just come out of the okay previous before that she had put a ban on um, fishing from a boat okay. and fishing from a motorized boat, which is what she specified. So as you can tell, uh, that angered a lot of folks throughout the state of Michigan. And, you know, it kind of felt like for the first time, a lot of our basic rights and what a lot of people do to relieve stress, right. was is starting to be taken away from us. And I think a lot of people um, started to get upset. I actually, I did do a podcast episode on uh, with Wes Smith from the Detroit Metro walleye stalkers, just talking about whether to fish or not to fish. And that was back in end of March at the beginning of all this. And the thing that him and I were just talking about was, you know, we just weren't going to go out fishing with people from whoever wanted to jump in our boat from all over areas of the state, just to help stop the spread of it, just to not take any chances. And, you know, you during that podcast we had said that you know if you feel safe going fishing with your buddies and you know where they're where they've been and everyone's washing their hands by all means go ahead um you know my my career personally i go in and out of the hospitals every day so i didn't feel comfortable taking someone um and jumping them you know putting them in my boat right but then it got to the point where you know they started to slowly close um launches so the first I can think of it was back in early April. They closed uh, a place up in northern Michigan at a Tippy Dam launch where a lot of folks go to fish a river and they stand shoulder to shoulder fishing. And you know, the whole time there's groups out there on Facebook, everyone was kind of setting out those warnings. Us as anglers saying, make sure you guys keep your distance because it's good. I can see this thing escalating. I didn't see, think it would escalate to the point where she would take away our rights to take out our boats and, and actually just fish by ourselves but it got to that point and it all started to trickle down from there. And it got to the point where I think it was April 17th or something like that. She had announced that you can no longer fish from a boat with a motor in it. Even if you're by yourself, even if it's from the people from the same household. And that right there is what just was the, the, the fuel on the fire for everyone to really start to voice their opinion about this. Yep. Um,
2: and you couldn't no, even you couldn't even Go fish ahead. you couldn't even fish in a boat that had a motor connected to it, from what oh. I understand. Like you didn't even, we're not even uh, running. You could be paddling a ZV or a ZV twenty one. Yep. No motors yep. on, and you still couldn't fish.
1: Yeah, they'd give you a ticket for it. Ridiculous. And that was any kind of motor. So even if you took your your outboard off and you were going with just your, your mincota or whatever out there, no way you couldn't do it. Um However, you could go and fish from a kayak. Um, I'm sure kayak sales went up, but, you know, a lot of guys and gals just felt, you know, if you think about these times, right, you got people being laid off. you got folks um, stressed about income, money, uh, health, you know, the other thing. How do you, you know, fishing for a lot of people is like a release.
2: I'll tell you, when I went fishing last weekend for the first time this year, now, I'm. I'm basically. You know, I was working basically full time. I was cut a little bit of hours at that time. My wife's still working full time, so my life itself wasn't hugely affected. But when I went out for the first time in a boat and went fishing, it was a huge just release of tension, of anxiety. And I don't even get anxious. I'm. Not, I'm not somebody to be depressed or you know get anxiety or anything. But I have felt so strange during this whole time. Because I can't go to my buddy's house and hang out, or I can't do this, and I, this, you know, I can't go do whatever I want. And it's like, and by the way, if I disappear, I'll bring myself back. I don't know. It, it kicks me out every once in a while. Um, but oh, don't worry. you know, for me, it was just a, a a stress release for myself, just to be able to go fishing. So I understand fully if they said that, yeah, you can't go fishing. I'd go, whoa, whoa wait, what? It makes it made right. no sense
1: it's a moment of clarity for a lot of folks and you know anybody listening to this podcast or my podcast or whatever just kind of knows this 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 community that we have and that bond that we have with uh the outdoors just in general and how it's you know a lot of us instead of turning to other things we turn to the outdoors to go outside or fishing or whatever it is it can kind of like you said have that clarity or just to whatever it is whatever our release is you know what i mean mm-hmm. and to have that taken away from you, from probably during the most stressful time that a lot of us, depending on your age, have experienced in our in, in our lives, um, it was a real kick to the you know what you know what I mean. Right. So, um, when she did that, you saw a lot of groups coming together, a lot of petitions going around, a lot of unity, and um, you know, folks, uh, conservationists, everything from the outdoor community come together. kind of just maybe tell her and voice our opinions of what she had done and what the you know the implications were to to us and um i think she heard that message loud and clear because the ban was up for a week and a half maybe even two weeks before um you know there was a protest march in lansing our capital here in michigan um i think that kind of got the message to her and then as of she just held this press conference out of the blue starting to talk about our COVID numbers and, um, also talking about, you know, reopening, uh, you know, our businesses and our society. And the, like one of the first things she addressed on there was now you can go fishing in a, in a boat again. So nice. So she finally must've heard us, but it's just weird. I I mean, hopefully no one experiences that, but you know, taking those, basic rights away from us it was it was a really surreal moment that's for sure
2: yeah and what would, would when i saw the <laughs> i'm flipping through facebook and all of a sudden i see no fishing in, in michigan i'm like wait what and then i start seeing all the other stuff that she banned like you can't buy seeds can't buy like charcoal to cook the steak that you can go to the back of walmart and buy i mean what it i was just flabbergasted like how did so you, it makes no so sense? If
1: you needed something, and you went into like a like a Menards or like a Lowe's or something like that. They would like ban and put tape on like gardening and stuff like that, so you couldn't even go, and they wouldn't let you buy it.
2: Right? So you yeah. could see
1: it There on the shelf, but she would ban it. Like she just they put it like, oh, you can't buy this right
2: now. Yeah, and it's like I'm already here. I'm standing in front of it. I can touch it, but I can't put it in my cart and walk out the door. Oh. <laughs> it's so I mean it was a clear clear overstep overreach whatever you want to call it and uh, did they reverse that part of it too can you go buy charcoal now and can you go buy seeds and stuff too
1: she did lift the ban on that you can garden she did open up landscaping and things like that Okay. Um, you know there's another thing like gardening people I mean that's a release for a release for a lot of people Mm -hmm. you know you can't plant your seeds and you can't you know, go buy them or you can't get what you need to start your garden. Now was the time to do it. If anything, people got downtime. If they're furloughed or laid off work. Yep. Um, yeah. And she stopped that, you know, what was, you know, I'm building a house right now too. So, you know, like construction still shut down. So my house is still just at a standstill. And, you know, my guy that was working on my siding was working by himself. He's a one man crew and he's not even allowed to go, you oh, know, geez. work on the side of my house. And it was just like, how far are we taking this thing?
2: You right. I mean, Right. Yeah. It, some of the things I didn't understand. I mean, it, you think, okay, some, the whole fishing thing, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, if you want to just say you have to live in the same house or you have to fish by yourself, I get it. You know, I saw, I was watching stray cast. I think it was, and Mark Zona was on there and behind him through the window is the lake. And he's like, I can't go out there. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't go out there by myself and be the, you know, it, it I can launch right here all this it, it just I don't know I'm just glad that she either through the protests or through that suit from the MUCC got it you know got her I don't know what what it, she did the right thing and opened it back up so
1: She did and like yeah. I said I just that just shows um you know outdoorsmen and women and everybody coming together to speak up and say what's super important to them and you yep. know you know during these times it's you know just like we just talked about it's such a release for many of us and you know i was when she first put the first ban on you know that it was progressive whereas like you know you there was they were closing launches they were cro- closing a lot of river access for you know for the spawning fish and the running of steelhead and walleye and things like that and then you know it got down to the point where they're like okay you got a social distance in your boat which is still the law right now that she lifted or or still imposing um but you just saw that progression and uh, you know and I was like man at least we can still fish with the one buddy in the front of our boat okay at least we can still fish with my wife who's in my household or, right. All right, at least I can still fish by myself I can go out you know I can, all of us buddies can kind of just get our boats around and you know pull up next to each other and talk about what's going on but then you know when all that went away you're just damn man
2: yeah no and, and then I don't keep a lot of fish maybe once a year we'll have a fish fry or whatever but if I wanted to go catch my fish to eat, I can't do that, but then I have to go to the grocery store with two hundred people and right. I mean come on, it's just common sense. Yeah. So yeah. and
1: that was the argument for many people. So
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm I'm just glad to see that it's over. Um and you guys can go fishing again, I guess. So Yeah. You Ryan, know. We'll get
1: to go out this week and we'll be hitting the uh the Detroit River for the walleye run or that the tail end of it.
2: Nice. Nice. All right. So you have your own podcast, sir, called the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Yep. Why don't you give the the people that are uh, watching and whatnot the spiel and the people that will be listening to this later on. Give them the spiel on the show, man.
1: Yeah. So um, I started the, the podcast, the Freshwater Bite Podcast, about two years ago now. I actually just celebrated our, our second year anniversary. And, um, you know, the reason why I I, I kind of started it was – I was living in an area in Michigan that I didn't know too many people. It wasn't my hometown. It was about five hours away from home, but it was this fishing Mecca up in Northwest lower peninsula by Traverse city. And, you know, just like any kind of anglers, I'm sure you've, you've been around local bodies of water. Everyone's tight lipped. Mm -hmm. So I started to think to myself, I'm like, how can I get some folks to open up? Um, You know, I'm I'm generally a, a very curious dude. I'm not out to, to tell everybody about, you know, your local secret spot. But if I could just get them to open up a little bit and share a little bit of information with me, being new to the area, how would I do that? And I thought, you know, some of these guides and, you know, professional anglers and how to get this knowledge out of people um, was, I mean, it's, it's always been done for many years, but I just thought if I had a podcast and I just asked some basic one-on-one questions um, not only would I be educating myself, but I'd be educating people who were like me, who want to learn more about a certain type of species, a certain type of way of fish, you know, whatever it was. And really from there, it just took off. And, you know, I've had all types of people on all from different backgrounds from all over the United States and anything that my listeners or actually just myself is super you know, curious about. I try to find someone who's, who's doing it and doing it the right way and have them come on to, to teach us all and share us all some information. And, um, you know, I think you and I talked about this too, was I drive a lot for my career. You drive a lot for your career. There's got to be some folks out there who want to sip on some coffee in the morning or if they're commuting or whatever it is. If we can't be on the water fishing, let's, let's talk about it. Let's get. Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. My first podcast I listen to are, are, uh, you know, hunting, fishing outdoors podcasts. And then after that, it's like, I get into the rest for the day. So
1: yeah, yeah. exactly. That's exactly right. That comes before news or anything um so news? yeah so the news? podcast kind of took off from there
2: what's news i don't i don't understand what that is what's news
1: whatever you want to think it is man i haven't it's i haven't a i haven't bunch watched of funnels a bunch of screenings and then whatever you can siphon out of the bottom uh, <laughs> take those pieces and then that's your news
2: i have not watched the news other than the weather in a month I just, it's nothing uh, but, you. yeah, nothing but COVID and bad and bad and bad. So I'm like, I'll pick the weather out and that's typically about halfway through. And after that, I turn it off and go back to, I don't know, anything but.
1: Well, you're reading and listening to the good news. The only thing that a, a, a sportsman needs to know is like, what's the weather doing?
2: Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. So,
1: so yeah, so the podcast is, um, it's been going for two years now. I, I did join up with uh, the Sportsman's Nation Network, Podcast Network, and uh, you know anybody listening to this, if you're a big outdoorsman and you like hunting of all types or other types of fishing, elk hunting, Western hunting, um, growing food plots, whatever it is, it's a great resource to go over there and just, you can, you guys can just cipher through all the great information over there. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I just thought of myself and I thought of, you know, there's gotta be other people out there like me, um, guys and gals who want to learn more about fishing. And I guess, you know, the other part of it too, was I think a lot of people were scared to ask some of those questions because, you know, if you ask basic one-on-one questions like, Hey, what line do you have when you're, when you're bottom bouncing for walleye on your trolling rounds? You know, they might be embarrassed to ask that because it's like, oh, well, of course you use 10 pound mono or, or whatever it is. Right. And I thought to myself, well, if I can ask those questions, I'm not going to get humiliated about it. That way they, we can, learn something and you know we can all just learn together and progress from there so that's that's where it's been
2: yeah yeah well it's it's kind of like uh you know my new podcast i got make fish famous just it's shorter than this one you know i think the longest one might be an hour but you know just short easy techniques kind of go through the rod the reel the line the bait how you present the bait and you know all that kind of stuff and it's kind of twofold for me it's like one i want to put out a show like that for minnesota because there's Not really many for Minnesota. I mean, not that everybody around the country can't use a simple lindy rig or whatever. But the other thing was like, I can talk to a whole bunch of guys and find out little secrets that they'll be willing to give out myself. So it's like, yeah, I'll teach everybody, but for me too, (laughs) you know, I can learn about fishing. So and that's the one. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just saying such a great thing too, because, you know, we're all in it together. You know, it, yep. I'll ask some questions sometimes. And I feel like, you know, it's like, for instance, I, there's one coming out this week um, and it's about bow fishing. And I was like, I've never, okay, I've been an archer my entire life. I'm yeah. a, you know archery, deer hunt, everything for my entire life, but I've never shot an arrow at a fish before. So what did I do? I, I had some folks on from, uh, uh, uh Loxley bow here in Michigan, and I just asked the most basic questions and it might seem you know super one1, but I asked tell everyone and describe to me how you shoot and aim for a fish that's in the water right. Y- you might think it's really easy and you might just uh, uh, think you can go out and it'll be like like people a lot of people say shooting fish in a barrel, but it's not. you know oh. there's there's a learning curve to it. so it's just stuff like that that's you know super interesting.
0: Yeah,
2: it, it, bow fishing is not easy. I guided for three, three and a half years, something like that. And Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. Going um, for what? Carp and everything?
2: Uh, Yeah, basically up here, it's common common carp for the most part. Uh, a lot of dogfish, a lot of bullheads. And then every once in a while, you'll get into like smallmouth buffalo and stuff like that. Um, But basically just carp. Uh, you know, the occasional uh, big, largemouth bass might get shot because they look like small carp. Okay. But uh, we had a good success rate of not killing them. No, at least right away they swam away, so that was good.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. Did you he, like doing that? I, I, I loved it. For that?
2: I loved it um, because ninety-five percent of the people I took out have never picked up a bow before. Oh. So I got, and I was, I'm into archery hunting and everything. So for me, I got to teach them two new things: not just bow fishing, but also archery. Right. Uh, yeah, and I had a couple people get a hold of me afterwards cuz I was, you know, shooting at a, a local shop and I was fixing bows and all this stuff and I had a couple people get get a hold of me afterwards saying, "Hey, you know, I think I want to get into this archery thing. I think it's really cool. I don't want to hunt, but I just want to shoot arrows." And I had them come to the shop, meet me, we got them all, you know, fixed up with equipment and then they started shooting and they kept showing up and showing up and becoming better and one of them actually did start deer hunting cuz he had some buddies that was into bow hunting. So kind of the progression of shooting archery you got your buddies going hey you can shoot pretty well why don't you come try to shoot a deer you know so
1: now isn't that a cool i mean in my book that's if if i was doing something like that and i had one person kind of you know have it click and and see that connection like wow i can shoot fish with a bow and now i can go get my own meat with Mm -hmm. uh, a bow which i'm learning that right there would be totally worth it to me and A huge win that's awesome that that those those two things came together
2: right i mean i started out deer hunting uh when i started deer hunting it was with a rifle and then i went to a bow and then i was shooting competitions and all this stuff and then the bow fishing thing i got hooked up because of the archery um you know me shooting archery and and everything so because i started deer hunting i got into this over here and then over you know it's so connected the outdoors is you never know which way you're going to go you know I was just a normal fisherman and my buddy said hey I'm looking for a walleye partner to fish these tournaments and I'm like okay I'll I'll be that guy so then I was fishing walleye tournaments for three years took a year off now I'm fishing bass leagues this year so who knows where you end up in the outdoor world it's such a I don't know a puzzle that all these different pieces fit in and you never know which one you're going to put into next and then F let me get philosophical for a second. At the Love end of your, it. at the end of your life, you'll look back on that puzzle. And if you did enough things, you created one hell of a nice picture. Yeah. I don't well, know. I mean, I don't know. I think I tried. To, all about. I might've tried step to sound, into
1: the outdoor world at any time. And, right. you know, like you said, there's so many different avenues that you can go down, like, you know, bow hunting for fishing leads the for, uh, you know, for deer, which can lead to bow hunting for Turkey or, yep. um, you know, the, and, you know, I think you and I have just talked about this too before. The, the biggest thing that I take away from it too are the people that I meet along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, like through this podcast, through, you know, just like you and I are doing now, um, you know, the relationships that we have, you could be like, if you're ever coming for whatever reason, you've never been to Michigan, he told me, which is. Yeah, like,
2: I've never been to Michigan. Sorry, Lee. Jeez, Louis. That's super I,
1: sad. You I got scolded before State. the show. <laughs> I'm going to make sure you get over here and well, then, But anyways if you were to come to Michigan and For whatever reason to, to hunt deer Or whatever it is um, You know now you know I'm sure other people in Michigan but myself And if you ever needed information you, would be, you know, I'd be more than willing to, to set you up and, uh, and point you in the right direction
2: Right well that's why you know we were talking about that earlier uh, I ended up in Kentucky Because I wanted to turkey hunt And you know out of state somewhere And this guy just like yeah hey, come down to Kentucky. We got birds all over the place and this and that and the other. And next thing you know, the next year, I'm driving 12 hours by myself to Kentucky for a week. Didn't get a bird. Drove back by myself. But for me, honestly, and I people say this all the time, it's so cliche. This is like NFL football. Oh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, just try to score more points than either team type of cliche, right? Literally, I did not care when I left Kentucky that I did not get a bird because of the experience I had in that state on those grounds with the people. I mean, that I have. if we'd have shot a bird, literally, like as I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, what would have been different about it if I would have shot a bird? Uh, I would have shot a bird. We probably would have had some turkey nuggets that night. Other than that, nothing else would have changed it would have been still about the drive down there by myself, seeing a guy next to me in Louisville with his little car, plump full of 12 packs of Coca-Cola. That was weird. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. To go into the Walmart and being told by a Southern black guy that my accent is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm like me, I'm the one with the weird accent. Come on now. Um, But to see the, the, the sun come up over these, these, you know, trees and everything in the fog that, that was there and spending time with Jeff Ray, who actually just passed away, um, just a couple months ago, uh, real young dude. He just had some, some problems, uh, some health conditions even back then he did, but Jeff, uh, and his son, Devin, and it was one of the greatest weeks I've ever had where I've, I didn't accomplish my quote unquote goal, but, I did accomplish something. I made new friends. I had a great experience. I saw awesome, awesome landscapes. And it was one of those things where, like I said, it didn't matter that I didn't shoot a bird. I don't care. I still have all those memories in my head. And the only thing that would have changed if I would have shot a bird is I'd been eating turkey and had, right. a, had a taxidermy bill. So, you know,
1: it, yeah, like you said, uh, I think. Obviously the trophy would have been cool, but at the end of the day, I think the memories that are going to make, you know, they're going to last and stick in your brain are the ones that mm-hmm. and the people you met. And like you said, the scenery you've seen, um, you know, that morning fog and the smells and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you you remember forever. And you know, like you said, anything else on the side is just a bonus.
2: Yeah. And that's what I, the one thing that I really wish that hunters, fishermen, outdoorsmen, and you know, outdoors women, all that stuff. I, I take a step back. Forget about the big fish. Forget about the one hundred and eighty-inch deer. Take a step back and just look or look at your surroundings, and remember why we're doing this. We're not doing this if you are doing this just to catch big fish and just to kill big animals and all that stuff. You are doing it for the wrong reason, and that's plain and simple. I mean, if you if you do catch or kill anything, it's a bonus we are outdoors we're in the outdoors and we should appreciate the fact that we're doing this and people say oh yeah you know if i you know i'm just happy to be out here are you if you're not catching something or you're not shooting a deer or whatever are you really because all i hear you do is bitch about it (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's like yeah i mean i do it too but it's like i actually take some time now and i was on um, uh, lake Pacagama up northern minnesota last year and we were heading back to the launch and all of a sudden I like I'm you know full throttle 30 miles an hour and all of a sudden I just kick the motor down and I just get into a creep and my buddy's like what's going on I'm like look around you dude like just look around you I never do this while I'm fishing it is off the trailer full speed to fishing fish looking down at the water the whole time get back on the trailer and go home it's like I want to take a second and actually enjoy this so
1: yeah. yeah, especially like if it's in an area of like full nostalgia, like if, like, like you just said up north, like for me, living up in Traverse City for five and a half years that I did, I mean, that was pure nostalgia for me. That was my element. That's just, I love it up there. Um, you know, and just like the morning, like you said, like getting out of the launch and launching the boat by myself, and it's, you know, 55 degrees. And if I've got coffee in my hand and I'm just kind of going out to my spot and the lake's super calm. It's like, it's just my happy place. It's like from there, it's just, that's what it's all about. And then, you know, and then I think from there it's as to evolve as an outdoorsman and just an angler to begin with, then you start to figure out, you know, just like everybody kind of talks about nowadays is falling in love and starting to like the process of everything mm-hmm. You know, going out on the lake. And if it's a lake you've never been to, or, or you're trying something new and you're, you're targeting a species of fish that's when everything starts to get a little bit sweeter, right? That's when things start to come um, and, and make you feel a little bit better. You're, you're, you're going after a certain type of fish. It doesn't have to be big, but just to catch a walleye in a lake that no one said they have a tough time catching walleye in. I mean like that kind of stuff, Yep. Uh, putting it all together is what, what it's all about. You might only catch one, but someone said that they can't catch walleye in that lake or whatever it is. And you're able to go out there and figure it out with a program.
0: That's pretty cool.
2: That was me on uh Saturday. I caught a walleye by accident. <laughs> I had no idea they were even in this lake. See? I'm like I'm like, "Wait a minute. What? There's a walleye in here? And a 24 incher? Hmm. Maybe I know where I'll spend some more time." <laughs> that and it's that's only That's why I
1: commented. I was like, "Dude, that's the best bonus fish you can get." Ducks. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. And it was shallow. Like I'm like, "What is this thing doing up here?" I mean, I know it's early time. They might be starting to to, you know, stage a little bit, but I don't know. I've never, never knew there was walleye in that lake. It was up under six feet of water in the weeds. So, Hey, whatever. Now I know what to do.
1: So, so let me ask you this. Yep. If you were a, uh, if you were a, uh, you know, in the angling world, you'd say like, I'm a, this kind of guy, I'm a lake trout guy. I'm a salmon guy. I'm a pan fishing guy. What kind of guy are you?
2: There is much debate about this actually on the internet. Oh, okay. um so inform me. Well, here's the thing. Like before well, it would have been four years ago I started fishing the AIM weekend walleye series. Before that, I really wasn't in the fishing like really known really real well for like what kind of angler I am. So I fished that for three years and all of a sudden I turned into nothing but a walleye guy. Even though like in my off days and whatnot, I'd be bass fishing or pan fishing or whatever. Uh so then last year I didn't fish it and I started fishing more bass again. I still went out fished for walleye and opener and here and there and went on a couple trips, but I was fishing for bass again. And all the guys I used to fish against in the in the aim series is like, that's not the right fish. You're a walleye guy, and blah blah blah. I'm like, no, not before I was fishing the aim. I was more of a bass guy. So of course now it's well he's a walleye guy. Is he a bass guy? Is he a walleye guy? Is he a bass guy? Honestly, I just like fishing, and I don't care what I catch. I will catfish. I will go fishing for Tulibee or whitefish. Uh, I will go fish for bullheads. I will go fish purposely for rock bass. Um, it doesn't matter. Like, the only reason I'm fishing a bass tournament league is because I want a new challenge. Like, I learned how to fish walleyes. Not that I was, you know, collecting checks or anything like that, but I learned how to fish walleyes. And... I want to uh, challenge myself, and I'm actually fishing solo, where you can fish it with a partner, um, but I'm fishing solo in this bass league to just challenge myself and see how good of a fisherman I am and to learn more. So I guess if you want to call me something, if you put me in a box, this year I'm a bass guy, I guess. Although the biggest fish I've caught so far this year is a walleye, so there's that too.
1: <laughs> nothing wrong with that the reason why i asked that I was the, <clears throat> that's what the answer i i, I think it, w- we were trying to portray is like if people talk to me and they're like what kind of guy are you well i mean i grew up fishing off of the dock just like most folks catching mm-hmm. largemouth and uh you know panfish and things like that and um you know i got into the walleye later in life and you could probably even say right now i'm still like a, a walleye guy a lot of my content's on walleye um But, you know, if you think about, like you said, going out and learning that process and starting to figure out, I think that the, that surprise fish or that challenge that you've kind of put on yourself to go out and target a species, um, you know, you fall in love with that for a little bit and you fall in love with, you know, that, that hat on your back that you kind of give yourself We're like, wow, I had no idea how to catch these fish before Mm -hmm. I went out and now I'm like all into it. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I felt about lake trout for a little bit. Like I was what i you know, I, I moved up to that area and actually, you know, I've, I've talked to folks on the podcast about this too. It's like some of the times our jobs take us to certain areas of the state that might not be known for walleye. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to adapt. you got to find that new thing that was, you know, that you, you fell in love with for fishing to begin with. So for me, there wasn't a ton of walleye lakes up in Northwest, uh, uh lower peninsula of Michigan. Um, so I went with the the big water fish. I went after the salmon. I went after the, the lake trout. Um, it's a world-class fishery up there for smallmouth. You know, I got into that a little bit and, uh, you know, it, it excited me to still go after walleye. And now that I'm back down here in Southeast Michigan, I'm probably going to switch back over to walleye, but that whole time is, uh, you know, it's kind of cool to see anglers evolve over the years and over the months and things like that of, just depending on where they live. And that's, that's why I wanted to ask you that question.
2: Right. Um, Actually, uh, we'll go back to whether or not I'll ever go to Michigan. Um, I'm not quite sure where, where there's some lighthouse. That's like 20 some miles out into Lake Michigan. It's like the furthest offshore. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Up in the UP. Yeah. Up of the UP.
2: Is that where it is? Okay. So anyway, so I'm going to be going there like the weekend of the 23rd of May. Is that anywhere near you?
1: Is it for fishing? Yeah. No. That's, I mean, if it's the one that I'm thinking about, what are you going for? What fish species are you going for?
2: Uh, I think it's lake trout.
1: Yeah, that's in the UP. I think I know where you're going.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's it's up it's... in the UP. That's about
1: mm, eight and a half hours from me. So if you really want to see me and hang out, you can drive at eight and a half hours.
2: You could come with us and meet...
1: Yeah, I can drive
2: up there. <laughs> I'll do that for sure. Yeah, but
1: yeah, I know exactly where that's at.
2: Apparently, this lighthouse is like where the state record was caught, or something, and it's just known oh, for yeah. giants. So yeah, I will be going to Michigan. So now, you, in a month, hopefully, hopefully, we'll see what happens with all what's going on. But yeah,
1: a dress before you go, and just say you live in the same household.
2: I don't even care. Whatever, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I'll just yeah, whatever. If, if I, if you know, I, what's could...
1: actually been cool is a lot of DNR officers and actually um, state troopers or whoever uh, have actually been really cool throughout this whole process. You know, from what I've heard, the people who have got stopped or questioned, they just kind of give you a friendly reminder and yeah, too much crap.
2: Yeah, no, it's when it, uh, you're going back to the, you know, you're talking about kind of the area that you were in to what you would fish, um, I've been, you know, me and my buddy, we go out to Lake Superior and we'll go lake trout fishing and catch some salmon and this and that and whatnot. I could very easily see myself if I lived in that Duluth area, Arrowhead region of Minnesota, basically switching over completely to that because that is so much fun catching. Because you never know if it's going to be a lake trout, uh, you know, whatever, four kinds of salmon or three kinds of salmon are in there or whatever and how big they are. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. Um, and they're delicious. So, I mean, I would probably, if I was up there, literally just switch over to those kind of fish and probably walleye too, just because there's walleye. If you go over to the Wisconsin side, but
1: that's the cool thing about, I mean, I'm super biased towards Michigan because I just, there's so many different opportunities for you to jump in your boat on a weekend. Let's say you got a long weekend or a three day weekend and you wanted to go somewhere to fish um, pick your poison. I mean, you can go catch salmon, uh, when you want to, you can go catch walleye, you can go lake trout. Um, you know, I know lake trout have a bad rap, but you know, there's, they're, they're starting to switch their diet over here in the great lakes. And they're, you know, they're kind of getting that orange, red flaky or not flaky, but orange, red, um, looking meat back because they're kind of feeding more on the, on the gobies now rather than the l So that fish is, you know, really been having, you know, gaining a lot of traction over the last few years here in Michigan. So the opportunities to to drive anywhere, if you, if you're a big uh, river fisherman, I mean, we've got some great uh, river fishing going on with, um, you know, brown trout and steelhead and it's, it's a cool place to be. So I, th- I think you're really going to like that trip up to, uh, up to the up where i think i know where you're going
2: yeah my we got we got some people checking in by the way uh blake's here and uh, mike klein says standard rock is that the one it is it is okay yeah um we got guys saying that i'm a walleye guy turned bass guy i only catch guppies (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) you know it uh uh, let's see. Uh, Amy says that's when you need different size boats and choice of how much money you want to spend that day. That is the truth. Yes, definitely. Yep.
1: It's good to know some people with some different size boats. That's for sure.
2: Yep. Yep. No, it's the whole, uh, bass versus walleye thing. I th- I don't know if it's this way in Michigan, but it's like, it's almost the bloods and crips here in Minnesota. It's that bad. <laughs> seriously like if you're a bass guy do not you know the walleye guys want nothing to do with you if you're a walleye guy the bass guys don't want anything to do with you gravel lizards versus green carp and this and that and the other the only thing i always i always say and i've said this many times in the podcast that you know the walleye guys that think they're such good fishermen and they claim that bass are so easy to catch then why don't you try to make the the bass elite series
1: yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, that sounds pretty cutthroat in that state. Here it's a little bit more relaxed. I don't think there's that big divide like you guys have.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's mainly just for fun because yeah, you know, oh, half yeah. the guys fish for both of them anyway. But, you know, you get the the diehard walleye guys that, oh, bass, green carp, blah, blah, blah. But if they were smart, they would fish more bass because then they would actually find those walleyes up shallow in less than six feet in the weeds and know how to catch them. So then come tournament day, you can catch 24 inchers like I did this last weekend.
1: Now, exp- I mean, and, and explain this. You see a lot of guys on tour, on the walleye tours, who are starting to get into these big-name bass tournaments yep. uh, that pop up here and there. And you'll see them go up and fish uh, like Little Bay to Knock, the tournament up there that they all kind of jump in on, whether it's for fun or whatever it is. But I tell you what, there's a lot of the time, and you could probably attest to this, or anybody can attest to this. If you're in an area and you're looking for smallmouth, uh, you know, if you fish it long enough and there's walleye in there, I guarantee you, you'll find some walleye.
2: Oh yeah. Lake Mille Lacs is just like that. You can catch uh, walleye and smallmouth on the same rocks all day long. So, but, but what's funny though, is that walleye guys here, they don't really talk too much smack about the smallmouth. It's the largemouth. Cause smallmouth oh, kind of okay. similar to where to a walleye, where they're kind of tough to catch. If you don't really know what you're doing, you kind of got to know that fish really well to really be successful. So, you know it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> they're, all, they're all fun. I got, actually. You know, one of one of my tips that I. I mean,
1: I don't know if it's a tip. I'm sure a lot of people know this, but sometimes in the middle of summer, if you're fishing and you're like wondering, kind of that midsummer lull. And you know, like the walleyes are kind of sometimes like they'll come up in the, those deep weeds and, you know, you're marking fish and you know that they're in there and you're just like, gosh, ah, not a really good way to get to them. What I found is, and this is the reason why I found this, and this is the overlap between bass and walleye, is a, a green pumpkin tube, a weedless pumpkin tube that you can throw in there and pop it through there. I've caught mm-hmm. many walleye on that and heavy vegetation with them in there feeding. And it was like a green that I just wouldn't think that they would you know, bite that four inch green pumpkin looking tube. And I mean, it's been a a cool thing to, to experience. It's a hot bite.
2: It's a reaction bite is what it is. It's like when you're flipping, you know, really thick matted milfoil and Seth fighter talks about it all the time. Um, Minnetonka, Lake Minnetonka here is, I mean, there's mats of milfoil just everywhere and it's basically just a tube with a big weight (laughs) and a hook, and throw it in there, it punches through, hits the bottom, fish either bite it or they don't, he reels up, hits the next pocket, hits the next pocket, and it's just pure reaction strike, and I think that's what's happening there with those walleyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, so there's that overlap. Regardless, you can have a fun time going for both of them. You can catch both of
2: them. Buy some tubes there, walleye guys. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's just – little
1: dangly things in there.
2: Yeah, it's just – I mean, it's mostly just – you know, it's it's the Ford, Chevy, Dodge thing. You know, at the end of the day, we're all fishing. At the end of the day, we all got trucks, whatever. It doesn't really matter. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't know what to talk about here other than, you know, what beer batters best for your walleye, I guess. I, I've seen
1: the passion there. I mean, I fished Minnesota a few times, and, you know, I've got some friends there now, and, you know, coming there, I will say, you guys are super passionate about your fishing, which is great to see, and it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. everybody. I mean, everyone fishes um, you know all the the whole family the kids the wives everybody I mean a lot of people you know here in Michigan they'll, they'll spend money on campers and RVs and things like that over there you guys are buying big ice houses that you pull behind uh, the trucks and things like that and it's yep. like yeah load up the family we're all going ice fishing for the weekend
2: oh yeah uh, yeah well ice fishing I I would I'd be willing to bet that ice fishing if you were to survey like open water ice fishing or both i would almost say that there's more people that only ice fish to only open water fish because it's easier to get out there right where there's a good chunk in the middle that do both but if it was only ice fishing or only open water i bet you there's more people that just ice fish and yeah well have you ever seen winter you know people
1: are not doing as much as they are in the in the summertime Mm -hmm. but you, you guys are always loaded on the ice. It's kind of cool to see.
2: Have you ever been up here for ice fishing? Ice fishing?
1: No, I've only been there for open water. Both times that I've gone to Minnesota, I fished Mille Lacs and I fished some areas um, more north of there. I forget the area that we went to to fish. Um, but Mille Lacs was, that was really cool to experience. You know, it's like a a mini big great lake uh, mm-hmm. with what I could, what I can compare it to from what I'm used to fishing um in Minnesota and it just that was it was a blast. But I've not been there for ice fishing, but I really, really want to go. I gotta I gotta get out there and do that.
2: All right. Well, next winter, if we get a good winter where you can actually get out and about, last two winters have been horrible for the most part. Uh you gotta come up and we gotta take you out to like Malax to where the cities are. Yeah. And just walk around and talk to people. I mean, that's just fishing gets slow. You can just walk around and talk to people. Everybody's out fishing on a nice day or whatever. It's it's madness. And people that I have friends down south, like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama and stuff, I always send them a picture when I start going out ice fishing again. And they all reply with the same thing. Uh, Jesus is the only one that is supposed to walk on water. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man. It's frozen. It's You've seen ice road truckers. It's like two, three feet thick. You're not, you'll be fine. No, nah, man, no, nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm like, Oh, come on.
1: You got to be wired a certain way. You know, you, you tell people like what you're doing, like you when know, you'll tell them, I'll go ice fishing for the weekend. I'm like, where are you going? I'm like I'm going to Saginaw Bay. I'm like, okay, but what lake? I'm like, Lake Huron, yeah. Saginaw Bay. I'm going out on the bay. They're like you go out on that big water. I'm like, yeah, it's frozen. I'm going out there. I go out there a couple miles, four or five miles we go yep. out and they just can't wrap their head around that. They're like, well, what if the ice gives out? I'm like, you're kind of playing with that every day, but you know, I've been doing it long enough. As long as you're safe and you know, the ice conditions, that's just, just the way our brain works.
2: Right. Right. Now Huron locks up pretty tight then for the most part, or do you have like a small window? Cause Lake Superior here, it's, really hit or miss like you can stay close to shore the nice thing about the one side uh the minnesota side is that it drops off quick so you don't have to go but a hundred yards out maybe i mean sometimes even closer to shore so it's it's just kind of like drill and as long as you got some decent ice you're fine but if you really want to go out there it gets sketchy and sketchy quick um but does huron freeze up pretty pretty tight and solid then or what
1: So the only part that really freezes up is Saginaw Bay. And if anyone's not listening, here's Michigan. It's this area right in here. Like this is considered Saginaw Bay. Um, You got to play the wind. It is a bay. It is a big body of water. So out here is mostly all open water. And then here is where it freezes because it's protected from the winds and things like that. Um, Anybody who knows of going out there, if you haven't been out there before you get too jacked about it, I would definitely suggest either getting on forums or hiring a guide so you get used to it. But And it does lock up when it does lock up, it locks up. Good. Um, you know, you need a consistent, I'd say three, three, four weeks of really cold temperatures. Um, not too high of winds, uh, anything from the Southwest at, at a high velocity is going to blow that, you know, blow that ice out and things like that. So you got to pay attention to that. But for the most part, you know, I can remember last, this year, it didn't lock up at all. We had such a crappy winter. Um, no one could really get out on the ice unless you're just maybe a few hundred yards from, from shore. Um, but like last year, uh, we went out a few miles and, uh, for most, most of the time you can do that. Uh, there's pressure cracks out there and things like that, but just know that that ice is basically just kind of locked in there and hanging on. And at any moment it can blow out as one big patch and it all goes out and then you're kind of
2: screwed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's that way on red Lake here. Okay. Where that's kind of the first major lake that freezes. It freezes okay. before Mille Lacs and Leach and Vermilion and Lake of the Woods and all that stuff. Uh, well, it's kind of a tie in between Red and Lake of the Woods. But uh, Red Lake, it's funny because I think it's always the, the east side freezes first. And you'll get these guys that go out there. And every once in a while, a chunk will break off and they'll go floating. And the problem with that is that you've got Red Lake is basically two different bodies of water, right? Upper and lower. And lower, and basically half of upper is all on reservation land. You cannot fish, you cannot cross that border on that water, otherwise, you're screwed like, you're screwed. So, there has been at least one instance where chunks floated off with these guys on it and they made it across the border. And, oh. yeah, and uh. I can't remember if they got to bring their gear back or whatever, but it was a giant mess. And there was another guy that landed his plane on the ice on the bat on the wrong side. They seized his plane. Oh, all sorts of stuff. It's like really, you thought you were going to get away from, away with that? But yeah, no, it uh, happens on Superior too a lot. All of a sudden, it'll the winds will switch or whatever, and big chunk will float away. And then there's people like, oh no, what do we do? So then they gotta come out with the rescue boats and bring everybody over, or hopefully the wind switches back and pushes them back all up in the shore. So yeah, it's it's uh it's different fishing those big bodies of water where where the ice is not exact it's stable, but it's not exactly stable.
1: Yeah. And I recommend anybody who tries to do it, go with a group of friends. You know, don't don't try to go out there by yourself. I would not recommend that. I don't think I've ever fished Saginaw Bay by myself. Um but if you go out with friends and everyone's paying attention to their phones and the changing winds, yep. that's super key. Um,
2: and when the Vexlar starts going from 26 to 27 to 28 feet, pay attention to that, too, because you might be getting <laughs> right. further away from shore.
1: <laughs> well, the water's so clear out there. So if you're looking down and you're seeing that boulder, oh, you're that structure <laughs> you are fishing on starts to drift away from you, you might want to go outside and see what's going on because it's not good. It's time to go,
2: boys. <laughs> we got to get closer yeah, to shore. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. So you fished, uh, you fished Malax, right? Uh, yeah. So okay. I open
1: water fished Malax in the fall time.
2: Okay. Did you fish any other bodies of water or anything like that? Or just Malax?
1: Um, we did, we did one other lake.
2: Okay. You don't have to give away uh, the name of the lake. I'm just, I, I've I apologize. Pack. I don't even know it. That's why oh, I just say okay, Mille
1: because I know that was a okay. big body. When we were there, um, the guy who I was going out with, uh, it was just way too big. The waves were way too big on Malax that day. So that during the for the first part of the morning, we went crappie fishing somewhere. Okay, I don't know the name of the lake, but
2: all right. No, cool. I was going to ask. It was probably uh, Shakopee Lake. That's a pretty popular crappie spot up there, right? Right by Malax. Um, but uh, are are your lakes kind of similar to ours over here? As far as kind of what they look like when you're fishing them and uh, stuff.
1: Yeah, I. Th- I think so. Kind of like, uh, for sure the smaller lakes, um, from what I experienced are super, very similar to the ones here in Michigan. Um, you know, I, again, I don't know your guys state that well, but like if you go up to like the Northwest corner of Michigan where I lived in Traverse city, there's a lot of like clear limestone lakes up there. Okay. So everything's is super, super clear. There's a lot of, you know, there's zebra mussels in there and things like that. There's not much vegetation, um, kind of the whole West side of the state is like that. If you come to Michigan, the West side is very like sand duney and things like that. And then the East side is more marshy, um, you know, more weeds and things like that. Uh, so from what I experienced when I was in Minnesota, um, the lakes were very similar and the lakes fish, just like a great lake, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They cover bodies cover a lot of water. Um, although there's a lot of, on the West side, there's a lot of reefs. That you can uh, find a lot of fish on But they're big reefs Like you could be on one reef Half the day if you're drifting Or uh, you know rigging slow I've done it and all of a sudden I look up And I go oh crap like We should probably move because We've wasted three hours on one side Of one reef (laughs) And we haven't done very well So yeah it's And then you know crankbaits Dragon crankbaits, dragon spinners, stuff like that Works really good too so yeah, it's kind of our own mini, mini uh, Great Lake, I guess, in inside the state.
1: Yeah, and I think you guys have a lot of like, you know, honey holes there where you can go to a lake and it might not be well known for something, but you know that it's well known for something, mm-hmm. and you can make it your own. Really, um, here in Michigan, for the most part, uh, the word gets out pretty quick if something's hot somewhere, um, especially uh, off that 75 corridor going north and south. There's some lakes that are just off the exit where a lot of people from downstate can shoot up. Um, and they don't have to travel very far off the interstate to kind of get to where they want to get to. Um, but there's, you know, that's, that's been my experience so far living in Michigan, but, um, you have to adapt, you know, like that, like I was talking about, you know, the East side fish is different than the West side, that clear lake that might hold walleye like you you know, you might be using the same tactics uh, that you, you're trying to use on the east side. and They just simply don't work because that water's so clear and those fish are seeing what's coming from so far away. You really got to change up your presentation.
2: Right. Right. How many lakes do you guys got in your state? Do you know about? I don't know. Because we're I like the 10,000 lakes or whatever, but it's actually 11,400 and blah, blah, blah. So you know what? My friend Google will tell me. There you go. Google it. Google it. And I'll just take this time to uh, make sure everybody checks out his podcast, Freshwater Bite Podcast, available anywhere. Podcasts are available. And then uh, Make Fish Famous, that is my newest podcast. If you want to learn how to fish, listen to both those podcasts. And between the two, they should learn at least one thing you would think.
1: Okay, this might cost some beef. It says 11,000.
2: Okay, now, is. <laughs> well, here's the thing Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and. They claim to have more lakes than us, but Wisconsin doesn't put a restriction on the size of the lake to call it a lake. So they can have a little pond in your backyard and call it a lake. Where if you actually classify, like if you were to do that same thing in Minnesota, we've got like 15,000 or something stupid. So
1: according to this, it says to the state of Michigan that in order to be considered a lake or the count it as a lake is five acres in size or larger.
2: Okay. Okay. I mean, so that
1: could be a small pond on some things. So. Yeah.
2: Oh, boy. So we just started a Minnesota-Michigan beef. Oh. No, we got
1: the Great Lakes. We're cool, man. You guys can have the 10,000 lakes. Hey, we
2: have a Great Lake. We got the biggest one, although so do you, don't you?
1: Damn it. Yeah. Damn we it. We touch them all. We got Lake of the
2: times. Woods. We got Lake of the Woods. We don't need your Great Lakes. <laughs> Although we should definitely come experience them though because they're a blast. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, doing just you know, dragging around spoons and stuff just up the North Shore was awesome. And we had a great time. We've done it a few times. And if I lived up in that area, I would probably switch over and just instead of having a bunch of crankbaits, I'd have a bunch of spoons and a big boat with downriggers on it and planer boards 12 out each side and with a bunch of buddies in the boat and. Hammer on cohos and silvers and all sorts of stuff. So,
1: you, you know what the big debate here in the state of Michigan is, like, especially when you got in the, the Great Lakes. And I'm sure you guys have this too. When we were talking about camps earlier, it kind of reminded me of one camp that there is here in Michigan. It's aluminum versus fiberglass, folks.
2: Oh boy. When it
1: comes to their boats. And? I mean, I'm an aluminum guy, but I don't have the big money to go out and say, I mean, I've ridden in both. I've ridden, yeah. I mean, it, they're both great, but. I don't know. You know, for the most part, I guess if I had 100 grand to blow on a boat, sure, I'll go get a fiberglass <laughs> boat. And, right. And go have some fun on the Great Lakes. But, you know, realistically, if you're going to say, what can I realistically afford? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're in an aluminum, deep V aluminum boat, I think you're fine. Just, you know, don't go out there in 40 mile an hour winds. You'll be okay.
2: Well, that's the biggest thing. I mean, even on Malax, I mean, you could be in a 21 foot, you know, a ZV 21. On yeah. Malax, and if the wind starts kicking up and the rains come or whatever, it can get deadly out there. It's just a big shallow bowl, and you know right. thirty feet isn't is not deep when you have one hundred and fifty thousand acres of water or whatever it is, and you know it's just respecting the water. So when I my my buddy that uh, I went on a Superior with, he's got a Crestliner Fish Hawk, and I I don't think it's an eighteen footer it might be a 17 or did he get the 18 this year he might have got the 18 this year but either way i mean it's just a respect the water thing you know i mean we handled it fine the boat did did fine um i didn't do that well in the morning myself i get motion sickness and i took some medication for it but the waves were long and very it just sucked Um but no, the boat. I mean, well, that's it, it different. That's it fine. different
1: from like a Malax, like you might be used to, because like exactly. that's the same thing here in the Great Lakes. Because like, if you're over on Erie, your chop is like this, right? Yeah. Because it's so shallow, and but then you go to the bigger lakes, like on Lake Michigan. You get into those yep. really big rollers, and that's when it's a total different kind
2: of way. Yeah, and of that, driving your boat—that's how it was in the morning. Was the big, slow, long rollers, and I mean, we were a hundred yards from shore. I am staring at the sh- at whoever whoever says stare at the skyline can kiss my ass. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like stare at the skyline. It it equals everything out. I go, no, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, it was the long rollers, and I made it to lunch. We went in, we got some lunch blah 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 went back out and then those rollers left apparently they're old waves like from winds days ago or whatever however that works on on the Great Lakes and then uh, it was just small you know just kind of little choppy stuff and I was fine the rest of the day so it was but I mean the point is is that you don't need a big fiberglass boat to go out onto the Great Lakes and catch fish just know the area you're in find an area you can go in respect the waters and you can go out. I mean, I could have gone out in my 16 foot tiller and would have been just fine that day too. So,
1: yeah, you know, the, the kind of, I mean, if any, like I said, I have no beef against it, but if I was given unlimited money, sure, I'll go out and buy a ZV 21 right now, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, But I I think the the way that my brain thinks is like, I don't think I'd fish a body of water uh, or be out in conditions that I wouldn't feel comfortable in an aluminum boat and or a fiberglass boat where I'm right. just like, I'm not going to push the limits. So it's like, do I really want to go out there in four-footers? No. <laughs> Even if I'm in a fiberglass boat, I don't want to go out there and fish. So why would I go spend the money on one? Because I know I'll take my butt right back into the shore anyway. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> well, when you're uh, when you're fishing tournaments, you got to go out no matter what. So the big fiberglass boats right. come in – Real handy during those periods. Um, but still, you got to respect the, the water. I mean, I've been in four four footers on Lake of the Woods, and it sucks. But if you know what you're doing and you can ride them out, uh, and, you know, I mean, you're trolling, so it's up one wave, down the other slow, whatever. Just heading back into town is, is the dangerous part, really. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I always have been like, you know, if I need a bigger boat than what I own – I have friends with bigger boats, and I'll plant that seed into their head. Hey, you know what we should do? We should go to Lake of the Woods, or we should go to Big Lake X and, you know, use your boat.
1: <laughs> you, should re- you should really show me that new trolling motor you got on your right. one
2: foot boat. I want to see how that works. I'm very curious to know how you run those trees for all those rods. You want to show me sometime? <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yeah and anybody- i'll tell you what i give a lot of respect to those uh those tournament guys because i did fish as a co-angler on the nwt before and it was it's so intense it's just a different mindset And like you said you got to have those fiberglass boats for not only safety but there's you don't have an option you know you wake up that morning everyone else and if it's game on no matter the conditions if, they, if they're if they're playing ball you got to get out there and get in there so yeah i respect a lot of those guys because we we put on a lot of miles on those fiberglass boats. And I will say I was grateful. I was in a fiberglass boat with some kind of cushioning of seats because my back would have been shot.
2: Oh yeah. Do they have uh, wave pros or airwaves in them or something?
1: I think they had airwaves in them. And you know, when we were shooting out in Saginaw Bay, I think it was day two um, out on the outer bays, there was some big waves and like when you're coming down and anyone's been in a fiberglass mm-hmm. boat, just that noise that it makes when you hit, you know, you're like bracing yourself and standing up for the next impact yep. you know, between my legs and my lower back. I'm like, I woke up the next day. I'm like, you might think it's kind of just easy to go out and fish, but the way that these guys push the limits and go out there to get the big fish, I now see why it takes a toll and you have, a, have to have a different mindset. It was, it was great. A, another phenomenal learning experience. Anybody who hasn't done it, you know, if it comes to your area, sign up as a co angler. I definitely recommend it.
2: Yeah. Who'd you fish with? Anybody that would, we would know.
1: Uh no. Uh the first day I don't think anybody would know him. Um second day was another local guy. Although he did place uh high. I think he finished eighth in the tournament. Uh Vandamore was his last name.
2: Um Vandamore.
1: That almost uh, sounds familiar. A, a local Linwood guy. He was really, really good.
2: Okay. Nice. So Well, how'd you do overall? Did you make the did you make any money? I was the last person as a co
1: angler to make the the, the cut for a check. So I cashed the check. Nice. And Yeah, it was fine. It covered my expenses, my, my fee to get into the tournament. Uh, might've been a little in the red between the hotel and the gas, but other than that, it covered my entry fee and I learned a ton. That's, I mean, really, if you're going to go out there and you want to experience it, your opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. tips and tricks and the way guys run their boats and run their boards and drop their lines in it, blows your mind i mean it's so cool to see those guys in action and you know you feel a little bit of uh a little bit of stress when that fish is coming in that eight pounder and he's cranking and you're the net guy you're just like i don't screw, don't want to oh they let up. you net he's the in. fish oh yeah it's oh in man 13th place it's coming in i'm like oh my god i gotta hurry up and get this fish in here so yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool
2: well uh, for i mean for what is it? Three hundred and fifty bucks, four hundred bucks for the entry fee, something like that. Yeah, I mean you're getting. And then you got
1: to pay your membership, your, your yeah. yearly membership too, so it might come out to be a little bit more than that.
2: Yeah, so you get, we'll just say four hundred bucks or whatever, and then hotel for a few right. nights, some food, some gas, blah blah. blah. Say a thousand bucks, right? So a thousand bucks, you get a three day guided trip with people that know what the hell they're doing. That's not too bad, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think. Even a thousand might be a little high. I say six hundred bucks. Yeah, you're you're all in. It's it's a two day, three day guiding trip for six hundred bucks, yeah. and you learn a ton of information. I mean, stuff that you'll use the rest
0: of your life.
2: Right. Yeah. Just pick one close to your house, and you don't have to necessarily even spend gas money or hotel. Really, if you, you get lucky and they're really close to your house.
1: Right, I mean, everybody knows for the most part where they go every year. You know, what I mean, even if you plan a family around, yeah, where they're going
2: to
1: be at a certain time of year, you're in good shape. So, yeah, uh, yeah I highly recommend it.
2: Yeah, so Tony Dahlberg, he wants to know more about the co angler's role in the boat. Like, what did what was your role in the boat? Because I know everybody's a little different. Some are, you know, some are the net men, Some are the, you know reeling in the fish. What what was your experience on that one? What did what did you do?
1: Yeah. So to be honest with you, so it depends on who you're fishing with. So like the first, the, the guy, the first day, he was just more out there for fun. Um, he's a older gentleman. Uh, he kind of represented a local uh, marina or boat sales. And just kind of like out there to, to have the name out there. So he oh, okay. was, he was it more it, relaxed. He would let me do.
2: Yeah, $1,500 you know, worth of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> he, 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 he was more out there just to kind of, uh, you know, get the name out there, but he was super chill. So like for him, for the most part, he was kind of like taking my opinion in what I thought, you know, I fish sagging all day. Um, you know, he's bouncing things off of you. The second day um, was a little bit more intense. And if you're like in a boat where someone is really out there to, to get the money and to play super high uh, and super competitive, you just got to know who your angler, who your pro is. And, you know, you just ask him. So like, that's what I did when I was in the boat. I could tell, I think he was like in sixth place going into day two. Um, So there's big money up here. And and he's, you know, a pretty decently well-known guy, not only locally, but in the past. And so I just asked him, I said, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. Just what's your, what's your number one thing you want me to do? And what he told me was just listen. If there's something I tell you to do in the moment, if I have you take crankbaits out of a pike's mouth and you're on the floor doing it for anybody who knows gets pike in the boat and it gets tangled up in the net with the crankbait mm-hmm. i mean that could take you don't want it to take long for obviously with the fish's health but at the same time when they're tangled up in the net if i'm down there for five minutes trying to get that out that's my goal that's what i'm doing so that's all i'm laser focused on yep. um, but you know for the most part if you want to get to the fishing part of it I grab boards, you know, a board goes back. It's on my side. I would grab the board just like I normally would start cranking it in, start reeling back in, walk backwards. He unclips it. Um, you know, if it's netting, if it's on his side of the boat, he feels like he needs to reel that fish in because it feels super heavy. You know, you you pass the rod off, let him reel it in just things like that. So I'd say the number one thing is just listen, listen yeah. to your, listen to your pro and, uh, you know, ask him ahead of time, you know, how, How intense are you? How serious is this? You know, how many tournaments do you fish a year? You know, if they're following the tournament, every stop, you know, they're pretty serious.
2: Right. Right. And they should be asking you questions like, you know, what are you comfortable doing? Uh, You know, what's your experience? Do you, you know, how do you bait, uh, you know, if you're dragging crawler harnesses with blades, you know, how do you bait your worms? Because, you know, me as a pro, this is how I want them, them baited, you know, because some guys are very particular about how that crawler is hooked on and, you know, and, Crankbaits, are you are do you know how to tune a crankbait? You know, all sorts of stuff. So hopefully they're asking questions as well to to know what they're dealing with. Otherwise you get out there and it's like, Well, I don't know how to do this. Oh shit, I should have showed you. <laughs>
1: right. No, and that's the thing. You got a lot of times when you're at the you're at the launch and you're sitting in the boat and you're waiting for all the boats to kind of gather there and you, you see what pool you are in to go out, you have a lot of time, especially the Saginaw Bay River event. I'm sorry, the second of Bay event, we had like an hour troll or just escort out to the bay.
2: Oh, so that's launched, right. We the,
1: yeah, we were in the boat for like an hour in the morning. So like, you know, day two, I was going over, he'd ask me questions and that's the other thing too. It's like, tell me about your system, what you're thinking about doing. Uh, you know, there's one thing that I screwed up on that maybe I should have asked him and I didn't take it personal and he didn't like scold me or anything, but the way I clipped my... My uh, my offshore boards. Everybody clips them differently. Yeah, you know, for the most part, some like to do the loop and then pinch it or whatever it is. And he was just like, "Can you do it like this?" And it's like, "Sure, yeah, not a problem." Just right. Um, and you know, the other thing too is, like you were talking about, if you don't know how to do something, there's no shame in asking those guys. They want mm-hmm. to tell you the right way to do something because it's going to put fish in their boat or it's going to make them more efficient. So if you don't know how to deploy the trolling motor because it's not the trolling motor that you're used to, I would be observant. Look in the boat. Hey, I've never used that trolling motor before. Can you show me how to deploy that and pick it up real quick as we're trolling out there yep. or as we're going out there? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Things like that.
2: Did they did did they kind of run you through their boat like basics of how to turn it on, how to go, and you know all that stuff? So if something happens to them, you can run the boat.
1: Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is, uh, yeah, exactly. So if they're pointing out to you, if if you know that you're uh, you're an experienced, um, you know, a boat driver or whatever you want to say, if you've driven boats in in the past, but you haven't driven this kind and you need to know where things are at, um, ask them. You know, yeah. get familiar with the boat. Hey, here, where's the live well at? You know, different, even rangers have live wells sometimes in different spots and they're split for if you're in a nitro or a skeeter, they're all kind of different um so ask those questions ask how to turn the live well on
2: i was just gonna so say the live well thing. switch where's that damn thing <laughs> that could be in four different right, spots because he's
1: got yeah exactly and it's super important you got this eight pound fish that he just got the hook off and let's say first one of the day and he forgot to run the live well and he's screaming at you to get the live well going right you got to keep those fish alive in order to weigh them if they're uh-huh. dead there's no point of weighing them because you can't weigh that fish right uh well that was that, like, that was my Go
2: ahead. I was gonna say that, and like inside the livewell, how the water comes out. Some are just like a pop out. Some, like my in my boat, you actually have to turn the damn thing all the way out, you know, for the water to start coming out. So if you can turn the livewell yeah. on, but did you actually check the livewell to make sure the water's going in there? Or did you just burn up his livewell pump? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh wait, you I forgot to pull out the up. thing or screw, you know, unscrew it. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, listen. Anybody listening to this? Whoever, whoever asked that question. I mean. Do not feel intimidated, Mm -hmm. but know that when you get in the boat, you are going to learn so much and just be open and honest throughout the whole time. Both guys that I've been with and even other co-anglers that I talked to in the past, they just said the same thing. Just be open and honest. And, you know, you get to build such a cool relationship with those guys. And it's a, it's a really cool experience. I definitely, definitely recommend it.
2: Yeah. We got a Lori. Lori's checking in saying, hi, awesome podcast.
1: Oh my god, is it Kleinos or my mom?
2: She's got the same last name as you.
1: Oh, uh, dude. Mom, that's my number one supporter.
2: Aw. Of course.
1: All moms are all moms are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. No, and I've I've thought about fishing NWTs. Mine is kind of like a scheduling thing and you know, I w- I wish they were over a weekend type of deal. So, otherwise, I got to take the time off from work and then all that stuff. So, it's something I want to do. It's on my bucket list. Um, I just don't know when and where. So, because I know they're never really going to come to Minnesota much, unless they go to Lake of the Woods or they go to the Red Wing down in, in pool three and four. But they're probably not going to mm-hmm. do. The river aren't much anymore because of the flood stages and everything has kicked them out. I think two years in a row, so I don't know. I don't know what they're ever if they're ever going to come back to Minnesota, which is a shame because it's known for walleye lakes. But I don't know.
1: Right? Have, have they ever? I mean, I, I just I don't know. But have they ever had it on like a Malax or something like that before?
2: I uh, they used to have it on. I don't know if they ever had it on Malax. I think they've had it on Leech Lake. The problem is, is that it's mostly trolling and we can only fish one line in Minnesota. So until they allow us to use two lines, which let me just rant for a second, let us use two lines. It's ridiculous. You don't let us use two lines. There's no scientific reason for you not to let us use two lines. So just get it over with. Okay. Back to the show. Um (laughs) We've had this debate so many times. It's so ridiculous. So Wisconsin, you can use three. North Dakota, you can use forty-two or something stupid like that. Everybody can use more than one line, other than Minnesota. I mean, come on. They talk. I don't
1: understand that. I I, that was one thing I had to get used to when we went to uh, when I went to Minnesota. Yeah. Like, why don't more people like troll? They're like, well, you can. We're only allowed one line in the water. I'm like, right. Oh. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Right. Which We're three, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, which sucks for guys like me that I'm on Offshore Tackle's staff or whatever. And it's like I'm trying to get the word out about Offshore Tackle planer boards, and people are like, but I can only use one line anyway, so what does it matter? Okay, so let yeah. me t- tell you why, even if you only have one line, you should use it. I mean, it's just this big thing where if they just let us use two, it'd be easy. you would be like, okay, now go buy a planer board. Go buy a planer board. Get the one line, you know. What's
1: their mentality behind it? Is it like they're worried about high fish mortality or something?
2: I have no idea. I've never heard a reason for it. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know, honestly. I don't know. I mean, it's one of these things where Minnesota is so traditional. It's just like, uh, once we have something, we don't want to change it. That's it. Don't touch anything. Uh, I'm almost surprised they let us use two rods during ice fishing season. And that's the thing. Why can't I use two two rods during ice fishing season, but I can't during open water season? A limit is a limit. It doesn't matter how fast I catch the fish. It makes it more enjoyable because you can actually figure out how to catch them faster so you can catch more, so then you'd be out there long. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's come up before. Mark Dayton, our last governor, he didn't sign it. He vetoed it or whatever. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. So I don't know if they've... Uh, uh, I don't know if they brought it up to uh, our new governor Walls, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. And if they do it, it'll be what they'll do is this is how they'll 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 do it is they'll take the uh, very governmental way of doing it and charge us five bucks for that second rod. They'll <laughs> I gotta
1: get their I gotta get their money, man.
2: Exactly. It won't be. Yeah. Go ahead and use two <laughs> rods. It'll be. Up oh, now, you need a five dollar coupon or whatever, stamp, $5 stamp, use a second line. Okay. So what? Is a DNR agent going to have to stop every boat and go, oh, let me see your stamp? (laughs) I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I guess that's why Like when I went over there to Minnesota, a lot of people, you know, jigging a minnow, jigging a minnow, uh, things like that, because it's so popular. Uh, I'm not saying you can't fish like that in the Great Lakes, but, you know, a lot of times it's like we got to get efficient. It so it's like, we're going to get some boards out, find where those fish are at, tell us what they're telling us. And, you know, you get three lines out per person, per angler. That's why you see those big trees on the other side of the Great Lake boats. And, like, they're running lines, especially salmon charters and things like that. They've got so many lines out in the water.
2: Right. I, I heard an awesome uh, – what was it? what's the word I'm looking for? An awesome term for doing that with, like, you know, three to six boards out each side or whatever. Combining. Really? Yeah, combining just like a tractor. Comb. I mean, think about it. Combines. What I dig is it, it man. It's a bunch I dig of. It. Yeah, I think uh, it might have been Lance Valentine, who's from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. I-, I think it might have been him this morning. I think he said that on his live stream this morning. Combining, and I was like, that is so true because you think about it, and you got you know three to six boards out on each side. You look like just a big combine going through the water.
1: Lance, if you're listening, you should uh, t-shirt that dude. I'll buy that t-shirt.
2: I'm ooh. I'm gonna mess. I'll have to message him and see if he'll if if I can make the shirt or if he wants to make the shirt. That would (laughs) be cool. Let's see. uh, Tony Dahlberg sent sent me a quote here on the whole line thing. Uh, This is from 2014. We are trying to provide opportunities to catch quality fish and while preserving the fish stocks for the future. Uh, That's Al Stevens, fisheries program consultant with the DNR. Okay, so he's trying to provide provide opportunities to catch quality fish and while preserving the fish stocks of the future. If I catch my limit, what does it matter how I catch it and how many rods I use to catch it?
1: Right, and then he's talking about quality fish. How do you catch a more quality fish with one line in the water versus
2: three or two?
1: Yeah. Or, or anything like that <laughs> you know the other thing
2: too is welcome to minnesota lee we make no freaking sense
1: <laughs> the other thing too is like you you always hear about the mille Lacs debate and how the health you know how healthy is mille Lacs and things like that well how would you know i mean if you're not taking the anglers advice you know if they're catching good amount of fish with just one rod in the water and they're trying to tell you that the population's healthy imagine if they had two more in there that's just more data for them to 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 consume and uh, throw up on a, a nice fancy graph.
2: You had to bring up Malax, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. You don't have to go down it if you don't. I know it's a, <laughs> oh it's a sore spot. My that's that's more for God. you guys to debate in that the state of Minnesota. I'm just I, I'm not I'm getting from into Michigan it. but I
2: can't I can't do it. I can't do it. Don't don't yeah. go down
1: it. But not tonight. Yeah, I, Yeah, no. There's not there's not <laughs> enough time.
2: Oh, uh, it's it's ugly, it's stupid, and yeah. Um, that's, let me see. Amy says, that's slot limits and seasons, not lines. What? Oh. Oh, is that what that was for? Either way, I don't know. It's dumb that we can't fish with more than one line. We can go to Big Stone Traverse on the Dakota's border, fish with two lines, or three lines. We can go to the Mississippi, Wisconsin, fish with up to three lines. Just make it two lines here in Minnesota, please. Please. Thank you. I mean i wanna it doesn't I don't know anyway, all right, enough of that nonsense onward, uh, yes, onward, sir <laughs> so what do you do what are you getting a little bit of ice fishing Huh?
1: yeah, so uh, what's what's your favorite
2: fi- what's your favorite fish to ice fish for hmm. now you walleye. Can, walleye oh you're so Just, boring, I know well I'll say this you belong in Minnesota, my new.
1: My new way, or I should say, my new thing that I do every single year when there's good ice is I'll go to a certain lake and I go for uh, brown trout and I'll go for steelhead um, through the ice. No, That has been a, 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 a blast. Or I guess it would be, yeah, steelhead.
2: Is the brown trout, is that in a certain great lake that a lot of people go to?
1: No, this would be on an inland lake okay. that I know of. And it's a certain area of the lake, and I've had great success for three years in a row catching trout through the through the ice that way. And if anybody knows, it, I mean, I'm sure people know this, but trout thrive in cold water. Yep. So it's not like bringing up a walleye that's kind of lethargic and just kind of out there eating, and they bite on your spoon. Um, you know, the other thing too is you got to get way away from your, your shack and they're very peculiar about noise and your bait presentations. But when you get one on, it's like, hold on, because it's like speed under the ice and you're just, your drag is going and you just pray that you got enough line on there before they stop to get them back up and get through your eight inch hole. And it's been quite a challenge and there's been some that have broken off, but the ones that I've gotten through the ice over the years is just, I'm addicted to it. I love it. It's, It's so cool. And the fish are so, you know, beautiful when you bring them up through the ice and their colors and everything and then you you know when you release them you just kind of feel like that was pretty cool it was that one-on-one battle with me and that fish that could probably have broke my line but you know today i won kind of thing so that that's been a lot of fun for me is, is fishing for trout through the ice And i would say it's probably definitely the most memorable thing that i do every year
2: yeah it's kind of like hunting really because you're not looking for a numbers you're looking right. for just a couple of big fish. If you're lucky, a couple, if you're lucky one, but it's hunting. And I've got some buddies that they said, they've, they've told me they're like, dude, if I could lake trout fish through the ice all year long, that's all I would ever fish for period. That That's it. Like it's such a rush when you hook into one.
1: It is. Yeah. You just know your chance. Like if you hook into a walleye through the ice, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get it up through the hole. Right. Knock on wood. Right. Right. You know, it, it, for the most part you expect that fish to come through the hole i would think now you, if you hook into a, a brown trout or a steelhead or a lake trout in deep water or in cold water and that's where they thrive you don't know if you're going to get that fish in through there you you hope you do you yep. hope it fits through the hole when it gets up through the top well first but you got to hope
2: you hooked them right and and good yeah. because they've got i've i've just rainbow trout fished you know little ones through little stocked ponds or whatever and if you don't set that hook like hard you're not getting them because they'll spit that hook no problem
1: dude i I, i've got my aqua view down there and that's why i'm like if anybody doesn't fish with a camera i highly suggest it it just tells you a lot of what's going on underneath the ice oh yeah anyways i've seen how those lake trout when they are the trout react when they come in the brown trout or whatever but they're so intimidating because when they come in they come in like a predator. They're weaving in and out around your bait. like It's like this the entire time. You're just like, I don't know when they're going to strike. Right. But when they hit and you look at your rod, like if, it's say, it's whatever 10 yards away from you or 5 feet away from you, your rod, you better get out to your rod before it goes through the hole.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you using for, uh, to catch them? I mean, hard baits, meat of some sort? I don't know what usually Michigan just, allows out there.
1: Yeah, usually just meat. The bigger the minnow, the better. Okay. Um, any kind of like shiner or, uh, anything like that. And I, I, you know, the other thing too, is depending on how the fish are, I put them in different areas of the water column. That's the other cool thing about having multiple rods out.
2: Yeah, is- Keep, keep rubbing it in Lee. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, wait, we can <laughs> use, we can use two during, during ice fishing season. So I can have one at 20 and 40, but whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're on your way then. You know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so you just kind of let that fish tell you where it's at. And for the most part, the most success that I've had on that is a jig head and a minnow just dangling there. Or just on a, a smaller hook that, that that they really can't see too much. But the big thing about, uh, you know, lake tr- or just trout in general is they want action. They want that bait going around like this the entire time. Yeah. So if you, anything, any kind of bait that you have that's lively that you know can stay alive for a long time especially in super cold water um you know definitely that's what i would suggest
2: yeah I, I don't know if you can use of course well hold on a second i don't know i don't think you can use live bait in minnesota or even meat in minnesota for trout i could be completely wrong but most of my buddies they're all fishing spoons and tubes so i don't i i want to say you can't use live minnows i'm pretty sure or live bait period i can't remember um but most of my buddies like i said spoons and tubes so i mean they're they're ripping the spoon get that fish's attention fish comes through if it doesn't hit the spoon they drop down that that tube and start ripping that and that's typically what they get they get hit on um but a lot of times you know the the thing is, is when they come in and it's going up, you know, you're ripping it or whatever, they might not hit it right then, so you just start reeling. And start reeling. And and yep. reel until that lure comes out of the hole or until they hit. Because once you stop, they're gone. So right. don't don't it's a it's a cat and mouse game and they get, get to that point where all of a sudden they probably get to like, I don't think I'm gonna get it before it disappears behind this sheet of weird wall I've got above me here. So then they come up and hit it. Um <clears throat> The
1: other thing but, and, too about trout and things like that, they're kind of like a salmon. If anyone's fished salmon before or jig for them, vertical jig for them, just because you hook them doesn't mean they're going to go down and away from you. They'll swim up. Yes. Too. And so again, the same thing, you're cranking reeling really the entire time. You think the fish is gone. Just keep going until you get resistance again, because sometimes those fish are coming up towards the surface. You don't even realize.
2: Yep. I had one <laughs> we're fishing, we're, we're jigging superior. And I had one where all of a sudden like the line went under the boat and away. Didn't go down at all. Didn't, like, come up. All of a sudden, the line just went under the boat and away. And I'm like, what the heck is this thing? And I'm reeling. Didn't feel really heavy or anything. But it was a little pink little pink salmon or whatever the name of Fermar. I, I don't know. Salmon, there's, like, just tell me it's a salmon. I don't really care what kind it is. But, uh, yeah, it went straight away because I'm reeling and I get – like, kind of around the motor, so I'm fishing more straight out. And that thing, I swear, probably was never more than three or four feet below the water surface. It was so, it just ran straight away. But the rest of them were all, like, you know, kind of going down or away and down. But this one just, as straight as he could, just away. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? (laughs) Like, am I bass fishing or what?
1: (laughs) They're erratic, is is all hell. You don't know where they're going to go. Salmon, lake trout, things like that. It's, uh, it's cool because, you know, that's the thing that we were just talking earlier. It's like, you know, what kind of guy are you a fisherman, but, you know, getting back to your original question when it came to ice fishing for me, like, yeah, I would go for walleye because obviously we have great walleye destinations around here for, for ice fishing, but the most memorable to me every single year are always those, uh, those trout trips that I go on. Um, just because, like, getting a topside is more
0: of a victory. I feel
2: right. Yeah, I mean, I'm just happy to go out onto a giant lake known as Superior and just go catch a few salmon or trout or whatever. I mean, there's so yeah. much water, but there's still it, it. It's not that hard, really. It's not that hard, but it is. But it's not. Eh, I don't know. It's fun, and they taste like I said before. It's fun, and they taste great. They taste phenomenal. It's
1: phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> love You're it. not going to taste anything better from you know the supermarket. It's fresh. You know, it's, it's, it's for the most part, it's accessible to anybody who has, you know, a couple dollars in their pocket or just a boat or, you know, a few hundred dollars to spend. You can go get your limit of, of salmon. Anybody knows, I mean, these salmon are, you, you're, you're flaying the salmon, the King salmon or the cohos or whatever you get. And, you know, one side of the fish, one filet of the fish might feed you and your family two times in a row. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. You that, get into some big ones. Know, yeah. You know,
1: they're, they're big ones. They're, they, you know, their meat's thick. It's, it's, they're, they're very long. It's, they're really, you know, they're great even in the bigger sizes like that. It's not like sometimes where, you know, you're not eating like 30 inch walleye, but you know, if you get a bigger salmon, that's, they flay up, they taste great. And uh, you know, like getting back to earlier too is, you know, the lake trout has such a bad rap. Um, I feel in the past people are like, I just, Throw it on the smoker, or it's just the greaser fish, is what they call it because they're so greasy. But if if you prepare the lake trout in the right way, and the, the the modern day lake trout that have really switched their diet, like I talked about earlier, they taste phenomenal. Yeah, so you really sh- you really should give it a shot. I mean, it's it tastes really good.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, a John Emo. Do you know a John Emo? I'mo, yeah. I'mo, sorry, John. Uh, he asked a question here, and and I'm. This is a very interesting question too. Uh, it's COVID related, but it's not. Uh, but it is. Do you think certain states placing restrictions on boating and fishing due to COVID will have any impact on the spawning season or fish numbers? Uh, in Minnesota, no, because we can still go fish, and nothing changed there. So, <sighs> is was there any Ice. spawning going on in Minnesota, in Michigan that you guys missed out on or?
1: You know, in something like the, the, so the ones that stick in my head are, you know, you got the steelhead runs that were happening up north, um, even downstate too. Um, a fish like that. I think you'd be able to see the impact more and it's probably probable that you could probably could see the impact, but like if like a, a place like Detroit river, you know, with the walleye and the big factory that Lake Erie is. You know, and, and as well as that fishery is doing, I think it'd be really hard to see the quantify that yeah. and put it into a value. But for sure, like, you know, the Detroit River, which is probably the biggest attraction um, that area gets happens right at the end of March, April. And, you know, right now in May and, you know, people come from all over the United States to fish that that run. Could it have an impact? Probably it definitely had some kind of impact because there wasn't, you know, any boats on the river in the middle of April.
2: Yeah. It might be good for the fish because less fish coming out, more fish make it up to spawn. Right. Nick, you might have a you know a bumper crop next year. Um, right. Like Washington, I don't think they can fish in Washington too, or they couldn't for a few weeks because of the run and they didn't want everybody shoulder to shoulder. So that might be good for the fish in Washington.
1: Yeah, a place like that where you you could kind of see more of an impact. I mean, that fishery too over in Washington. You always hear debates about how to manage the salmon over there, and year to year it changes for them. So you could probably see and and quantify that that impact more significantly. I just think it'd be tough on the Detroit River and Lake Erie because it's so healthy and it's, I mean, it's always booming for right. the last few years. Knock on wood, which has been great. But I, I'd say your smaller tributaries and your smaller lakes. Um, steelhead, things like that, I think definitely benefited from it being shut out for sure.
2: Yeah. I wonder if it'll be one of those things where people will do studies to see how it affects it and will there be maybe, I don't even want to say this because this is public, but whatever. Blame me, everybody. Um, (laughs) Will there be like people that do the studies and they go, you know what, maybe every couple years... We shut this particular body of water down to let these fish go by, not get taken out before they get to spawn, and it helps the fish. You know, the 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 fishery itself. Like I said, everybody, please send hate mail to me. I'll take it, whatever. For
1: I'll back you. I'll back you up on that a little bit. If it meant, let's say they found something out, you know, whatever. Like you said, some kind of data that really helped the steelhead population. If you know, if that meant my future. Kids or grandkids, or whatever, like that, that fishery could be healthy if we figured out a way to properly manage some of those smaller, uh, you know, river systems or tributaries. So that I know that there'll be a steelhead for them to catch someday. I'd be, I'd be up for sacrificing whatever, you know, yeah, letting it go that time of year or whatever, things like that. But um, it's, yeah, it is a slippery slope, but we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah. You know, outdoorsmen are hilarious. We are a funny, weird creature because we are all about. Conservation and protecting the outdoors and protecting the animals and all that stuff. But anytime there's a regulation that keeps us from catching or killing something, we get pissed. <laughs> we get Yeah, we want pissed. our
1: we want our cake and want, we want to eat it too all, all the time.
2: <laughs> some of the biggest hypocrites ever. Like, you know, people go, Oh yeah, well malax, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Malax is a completely different thing. That's completely one hundred percent political. The whole shutdown Michigan shut down political. But Anytime there's like regulations change, whether it's how many fish you can take out or the size of slot limit and all this stuff, there's always people that are complaining, whining, moaning, and I'm like, Well, if it turns out to be better for the fishery, isn't that a good thing? Well, yeah, but I still should be able to at least go I'm like, No, if it if it's better for the fish, you're you're an outdoorsman, right? Well, then think like one. I think
1: the DNR Really save their butts, or at least get more. They would be so hated when they come out with a new regulation if they could say part of their study or part of where their data that they got it from was contributed by outdoorsmen, by fishermen, by hunters, or whatever it is. Yep. Rather than have it say, based off our studies, this is what it is. So, this is the regulations.
2: Right. Well, I, think,
1: be- I think public input is super important, the people who are out there every day fishing.
2: As long as they, whatever it is as long as they take public input and actually right. do something with the public input, they did like, we'll just go to Malax here. They have public meetings. They claim that they take to what we say, blah, blah, blah. All that. They don't do anything. It's just, just show face. So if they actually were to get actual public input and I mean, here's the deal. The DNR has, I don't want to be a DNR. I don't want to be in the DNR because their job sucks no matter what they do. Every there's going to be people that love it, people that hate it. The next time they do something, that the roles will completely be reversed. The people that loved it hate it. Now the people that hated it loved it. True. And I don't want to have to deal with that. I just think that a lot of things, and at least in Minnesota, should be more science-based and left to actual experts, not people sitting under a domed building in our capital trying to make decisions and what's better politically for them. So.
1: Right. Yeah, and like you said, taking the, the input of the public, too, right. what they're seeing because, you know, they're just as good as people, word of mouth, the people on the street seeing what's happening and what's not happening. So.
2: Right. Well, I, they were trying to do, they were doing deer studies, and it's like if you wanted, and they would, they if you bought a rifle license, more than likely you got a survey, right? What about the bow hunters? The bow hunters are there from mid-September. Sometimes if you're a bad bow hunter like me, all the way to the end of the year. <laughs> I'm just I just don't like shooting small animals, whatever. But anyway, those guys, bow hunters know almost every deer that's on their property, unless it's the rut, because then all hell breaks loose and you could have a deer from twenty miles away. But they know every deer that's there, they know what time they're gonna be there, they know which fawn or which doe has triplets, twins, and singles. Those should be the guys that are getting surveyed every single year and actually grow a relationship with those hunters so they're telling you what's going on in their area but they don't do that
1: sure yeah that's what yeah that's exactly i agree 100 percent. those are the boots on the ground those yeah. are those people that have firsthand experience and witnessing uh what's going on i mean the dnr you know they're few and far between they can't be everywhere at once and they can't be um you know they're they're state funded so it's their, their resources only go so far and I understand that like you like you were talking about I wouldn't want to be a d in the DNR but at the same time like uh you know talking to those people and no one knows their property or those animals on their property more than uh, bow hunters and you know that's that's a great point boy especially bow hunters yeah if, if you're a bow hunter you know you're in it for the long haul for the season because mm-hmm. you're out there at the beginning and you're sweating your butt off when it's 75 and 80 and mosquitoes are biting you until it's you know 10 below and you're still in the same tree stand trying to get your deer with your bow.
2: I have spent many years in that same situation.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes in the same weekend you're wearing your your light oh, yeah. and stuff. Oh, and then yeah. the next day on Sunday you're out there in a in you know uh, a black lava and everything else freezing your butt off.
2: Yep. Although then there's the and, and you know the funny thing is is there's been years where I have shot a deer opening day, opening morning opening evening, and I'm done. I'm done. Tagged up, done, whatever. I miss the rest of the year. I miss being out there when things start cooling off in October. And I miss being cold in December. But I got a deer. But right. it's like, eh, should have I shot it? Should I waited? Eh, you know. So it's like the times you have to hunt into December, you're complaining because you didn't shoot a deer in end of September because now you're freezing your butt off but then you shoot one opening day and it's like, all right, well, what am I going to do now?
1: Yeah. And in the state of Michigan, there's not too many hunters that run into that because again, this is a hot, hot topic and it's a very sensitive one. And oh, I, boy. in my opinion, I don't think it's the, I don't like our regulations right now in the in the state of Michigan when it comes to deer hunting. Uh, you know, we have what's called, you know, you can shoot two bucks basically on the same uh in the same year and really there's antler restrictions depending on where you go in the state but you know a lot of the times right now you could go out and shoot two bucks off of your property and you know which is i mean it's everybody's right i mean that's what the rules are right now but you know then people say that michigan's over hunted and we don't see the big bucks like we're supposed to
2: that's because you kill them all when you when they're all a year old
1: Right. I mean, and, and again, that's, depending on your situation, what I'm saying is you can't complain about not having big bucks when you're the, if, if there's somebody out there shooting, um, you know, multiple bucks every year, you know, you've yeah. got to take a sacrifice and you've got to be willing to pass or whatever it is. If you listen, if you like shooting a, a spike in a four point or whatever it is, that's good for you. If that gets you jacked, that's great. I'm happy that you're doing it and you're in the sport, but the state of Michigan gets a bad rap and you know, a lot of people complain about, the quality of deer sometimes that are here and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's something that I think a lot of folks, or at least I think a lot of folks would like to change in our state, but I I feel like sometimes it's driven by money more than it is, um, you know, practicality of of managing the herd and a a way that a lot of people want it to be managed.
2: Oh, it's hugely about money. It's the only thing that it is. I mean, that's why all the regulations and all this and that, and the other is always, Around gun season. It's always around the gun hunters. They don't care about right. the bow hunters because there's, say, 20,000 bow hunters. Well, there's 350,000, however many it is, you know, orange-clad gun hunters out there. So, yeah, they don't care about the bow hunters. They just want to make the gun hunters happy, get as many gun hunters out in the woods as they possibly can. And if it wrecks the deer herd, eh, whatever. Right. I don't think they honestly, as much as they want to say, oh, we want to have good quality deer and this and the other... they don't care as long as you're spending 40 bucks on a tag. They don't care.
1: Yeah. And like I said, I'm all for it. If if you're passionate and you want to take, I'm for anybody hunting just in general. Yep. But you know, sometimes you you just hear these, these things like we were talking about it earlier about hunters are hypocritical. You're right. You know, you want big bucks, but would you sacrifice just shooting one for five years? Let's say you only get one buck tag. Well, to have bigger bucks or more bucks
2: yes i would because we're only allowed one in minnesota anyway just like fishing no. lines we're the state we're the one w- state, we're the, the one state. we're the land of one my friend the land of one Ten thousand idiots and one line and one one deer do
1: you guys have cwd over there
2: oh god yeah we do yeah, yeah that's a whole nother thing um you know, I my issue with it is uh, is the way that they're handling it. If CWD was as big of a problem as it is supposed to be, and if yeah, you, you know, I've talked to Doug Dern in person about it. Go listen to him on you know Joe Rogan's podcast and all that good stuff. Uh, for him, sky is falling. All this stuff for me, if Minnesota was as serious as they supposedly should be. Test every single deer that is shot, every single deer in the state. You will find out exactly where all the hotspots are, or guess what? Maybe Minnesota is just one giant hotspot. It's everywhere. But yeah. Minnesota won't do that. I will, I've will. i said this on the show. If you want to make it mandatory that for one year, one year make it mandatory that you get your deer tested and you want to charge me 10 bucks, an extra 10 bucks to get it tested, I... Doug Lemerveen from the SmackDown Outdoors Podcast, I'm all for it. I will give you that extra $10 for one year. Mm-hmm. And as and step back to, you know, hypocritical in this, that, and the other, if, as sportsmen and hunters, we're the ultimate conservationists, we want to do what's best for the animals and the herd and hunting as a whole, you should be for that $10 or whatever it turns out to be. Maybe it's five bucks, whatever. But you should want your deer tested. You should want to figure out where this all is to see if it is a big of a deal, as they say, or is it just in certain areas, then maybe we can figure out what's going on in those areas. Um, But, you know, people, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. They, I don't think Minnesota is taking it as serious as as they say they are. So.
1: Yeah. It's, it's new to our state within the last three years or so, four years. And it's, sparked a lot of controversy here too i mean i agree I, i'm up for getting testing and things like that and it's just so i mean it's kind of compare not comparable i should say that it's similar if you wanted to cross the the worlds of you know the what we're going through now with testing based off of yeah uh and then and then the deer population testing it's like if you just test and test and test and we figure out where the hotbed areas are and things like that um you know, like you said, if you had to pay an extra $10, I personally, I'd want to know to make sure my deer isn't infected with it. Well, you know I mean, regardless, yeah. I know people say you can't get it from just eating the regular meat, but it's only from the spinal cord and the brain and things like that. But man, if you told me my dad had CWD and they told me that they handled it fine, I don't, I don't know if I would eat it.
2: That is a giant question. That I, I mean, that head, of, I don't
1: know what you I would know. Do.
2: And that's the thing that, like, I think Doug Dern has been asking people, or I don't know, Doug or Joe or Steven, I don't know that whole meat eater boys club yeah. over there. That was one of the things that I've heard some of those guys say. They go, "Okay, so if you know your deer's got CWD in it, or you know there's CWD in your area, or whatever, you're gonna eat that. You're gonna eat that deer with CWD if you think it's not as bad as it as it is. Me, I'm like on the fence. I'm just trying to figure out, okay." Where is it? Like, let's handle this. Let's figure out where it is. Let's test every deer. Every deer that gets killed, every deer that gets killed in Minnesota for one year gets tested. That way we find out where in the state it is or isn't. Right. That way we know. So I'm just sitting back going, okay, is CW, okay, COVID, CWD, are they real? Yes. Are they killing things? Yes. Is it as big of a deal as they want to claim it is? I don't know. right. Because we don't have numbers. We don't have accurate numbers to say what's going on because there's not enough testing. There's not enough information. There's infighting all over the place. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to COVID, am I getting tested? No, I feel fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Whatever. And if I do get tested and they say that, yeah, you've got it, but you're not asymptomatic, are they going to tell me, well, now you have to stay home? Well, I don't know.
1: Right. And that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I'm sure there's some of us out there that have that have eaten a deer that had CWD and we're fine you right? Know, because we weren't testing for it before. Um, but you know, it's that question that's like, if it's on the plate in front of you and you knew it tested positive for it, would you eat it? I'm like, ah, I don't know, man.
2: <laughs> it'd be, it'd be definitely. That'd be weird to eat it. Right. It it would be, it would be. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't think my wife is watching. So nobody tell her this. So I shot my bear. Right. This last year, shot my first bear ever. And when we were gutting it, it had worms in it. Right. Right? So now those were different worms than the whole, leclep, uh, oh, what's that stupid? Trichinosis. Trichinosis. Different worms, right? But it still had worms in it. And I'm like, like at that moment, I thought, can I eat this bear or is that <laughs> not good? Um, hmm. Makes you think, man. All I know is it tasted delicious. So I would probably still try a CWD deer. What the hell? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I would
1: personally. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I would, but if you came to that thing where it's like it's on the dinner table for everybody to eat, and your daughter's about to take a bite or something like that, I'd be like, uh, I think I better try it and just you know see what happens.
2: Well, yeah, but it's not the it's not going to like immediately have problems. It's going to be like no, down but. the road of, and then it's like, how much of it do you need to? I don't know, man. See, this is the Weird. problem is that we need more. We need to find out where it is. We need to actually figure out what it is what it's actually going to do to humans. And, of course, you know, Joe Rogan, that's his biggest concern is that all of a sudden CWD is going to take over humans and we're all going to be, you know, mad cow zombies running around or whatever. But,
1: yeah, I don't yeah. think that'll happen. But, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that our deer population is there. That's for sure. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, too. It's like, OK, so is CWD one of these things like the herd immunity the ones that are going to die from it die from it but there might be deer that catch it and survive it never have any symptoms and become stronger and then at you know it over decades you have a stronger population but then Doug Darren says no that's not happening in Wisconsin it's gotten worse it's yeah covid and CWD nobody knows what the hell to do about either of <laughs> them
1: no, it's weird. That's why I was trying to make a parallel there <laughs> yeah. to where we're at right now—the
2: yeah. human world and the wildlife world. We're like, ah, oh, this sounds a little familiar, right? Yeah, and I don't. And there's no well, the problem with CWD. The biggest problem. Otherwise, you could literally just start setting up catch nets or traps all over the place to capture a deer somehow alive, test it, and let it go. But there's no way to test it right now until it's dead. So right. the only way you're going to be able to f- test it is. During a hunting season. Yeah. So.
1: That's when they get their samples. and Right. Um, but yeah, it's important for, you know, hunters and things like that to partake in what the DNR is asking you to do. And if you see the value and, again, getting more data out there. I mean, we're their, again, we're their biggest, you know, boots in the ground and telling them the information. So they, you know, especially in this case, they, they definitely need us and they definitely need our input and our opinion. So. You're
2: right. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Weird parallels there. Weird parallels. I'm, I'm t- I'm t- it's it's so strange. It's like what's going on? We don't know. Why not? No testing. Uh, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Are there any? Are there, are, is there anything in the fishing world uh, as far as fish diseases that parallel COVID and CWD? I don't think so. Just the occasional lamprey stuck on your fish. There's some. <sighs> I'm not familiar
1: with the, de- the disease states of the fish in the, the Great Lakes, and I probably should be a little bit more educated on that. But there's spouts that kind of go through um, here and there. There's fish die-offs, and you know people look to see why. You know, a lot of the time, you know, in my opinion, for the most part, uh, humans are screwing up the, the waterways and things like that. So the fish are reacting
2: mm-hmm.
1: more to that than they are of diseases that they're spreading amongst each other, in my opinion. Yeah.
2: Well, um, there's your disease, human beings in the fish world.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's been a lot of things, especially here in the state of Michigan, um, you know, with some some chemicals that have been used at military facilities. And it's not only affected the the lakes and the rivers and the fisheries and things like that, but also human life, you know, the, yeah. the drinking water and things like that. So it's super weird. And I probably should dive into the weeds on that a little bit more. But again, it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to, they know where the smoking gun is at for the most part, but to go and say, you know, this body of water touches that body of water is the reason why. So they all have it kind of thing is, is kind of a gray area to get into. Um, but yeah. yeah.
2: Zebra mussels. there. There's our COVID. Yeah. Fish those really. things don't, are, Jesus Christ.
1: We can get rid of those.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, I've kind of reached the point with that stuff. It's like, let it happen. Like Mille Lacs, it got real, real bad. And then they're, and then they're not as prevalent now. So. Right. It's kind of like guess, Meh, another just. thing
1: another thing we don't want in the Great Lakes, which is super important to talk about, is Asian carp.
2: Which okay, now which Asian carp? The These jumping, the silvers? because I there's,
1: guess whatever we just refer to as Asian carp, whatever the ones that are collapsed fisheries.
2: Okay, well there's silvers, those are the jumpers. Okay, there's, jumpers. There's then. there's big head, those are just big and dumb and float on top, and yeah, those are dumb. Um, those are both bad for uh, for fisheries. I think grass carp are another one that's bad. Uh, common carp or common carp, they've been around forever. They ain't going nowhere. Not that they're good for bodies of water, but they're not horrible. I guess I don't know. Um, I the problem is is that there's no good way to get rid of these these things. You just got to yeah. stop them. And apparently, we here in Minnesota. Have one lock and dam that is the final point where they supposedly until some jackass probably takes a couple and throws them over, supposedly they can't make it up because it's too high. They can't jump that high. It's like 40 feet high or something. So apparently we are the somewhere in Minneapolis, St. Paul area, there's one lock and dam or wherever it is. That is the the final stand versus these things. And if they make it past then past that, then yeah, all hell's broken loose so
1: yeah interesting fact that I just learned this week actually uh, for the latest podcast that I'll have coming out I didn't know this but they're bow fishermen obviously we were talking about bow mm-hmm. fishing. There is goldfish in Saginaw Bay that they fish and shoot. And things like that, and in I have Saginaw never Bay? seen goldfish. In, yeah, like in the shallows and the cattails. Okay. You know, people take goldfish and throw yep. them out there.
2: After, oh, we we know, get they, them in our lakes from time to time, all the time, and sometimes they're like big because they just kind of roam. Who's shooting them? No, they don't eat anything. They don't bite your bait, but Saginaw Bay—that's
1: what they said, man. Hmm. I'd shoot them if you see them. Shoot them. Oh yeah. I'm shooting them. I'm oh, shooting yeah. them. If I see a goldfish in Saginaw Bay, I'm gonna hit it with. Whatever I got, if I don't have a bow, uh, bow with it. Oh,
2: yeah. I'll shoot it and mount that thing. Not many That's peop- what I said
1: on the podcast. Like oh, if yeah. I get one with an arrow, I'm mm-hmm. going to leave the arrow in it and mount it on my wall with a goldfish with an arrow through it.
2: Yeah. I got a couple of buddies that have done that. They've gotten really big ones from wherever the hell they go bow fishing these things are in. Apparently, there's a couple of lakes that they know of that have a population, and they're, like, picky about it. Like, they're going around, and they go, uh, nope, that one's not big enough. Like, they're oh, – they're, managing the goldfish herd in these lakes, which I find hilarious, <laughs> but they say, yeah, there are no, the lakes aren't really good for anything else. So whatever. So they'll only like shoot like big ones. And a couple of them got them mounted. They got them arrow through it and everything on the mount. It's kind of cool.
1: That's a cool conversation piece to have hanging on your wall.
2: Right, yeah, it's like, what, <laughs> yeah. go, giant goldfish, what happened here? Uh, well, so here's the story. <laughs> I yeah. was bowfishing, and all of a sudden.
1: <laughs> Three beers <laughs> later, I thought I saw a goldfish, so Yeah, I shot it, and sure as shit, it was a goldfish.
2: Right. Uh, hey, Grant Patrick uh, wants to know, on the topic of human intervention, are salmon rivers, especially in, Min- in Michigan, sustainable for generations to come? Uh, I know nothing on this topic of of salmon and the populations anywhere, not even in Minnesota. So this is well, all you.
1: I would say I would say in theory, yes, because the whole salmon population in the Great Lakes is a big experiment, right? They're not a native species that's been here. They're introduced back in the early '60s to control the alewife population. Where if if anyone has, this, but back in the '60s there were so many alewives, which is a bait fish small silver bait fish. Um, they were so overpopulating the the great lakes that they would wash up on shore dead and there'd be piles of them. And it would smell horrid because it was just tons and tons of these dead bait fish on the shores. And it was started to um, affect local communities for um, uh, vacationing and tourism and things like that. So no one wanted to come to the, you know, the great lakes because there was always like, these dead fish on the shore and it was hurting other fish species within the Great Lakes. So, they introduced the, the salmon, um, the Coho salmon, um, and the Chinook king salmon uh, to the Great Lakes as an experiment. Because the, if anybody knows anything about salmon, all they do is eat. They eat all the time from the yeah. time they can get out into the big water. They're putting on the feed bag, and it was you know a huge success. There was uh, you know sport fishing industries and fish towns that popped up on the west side and the east side. from the salmon thriving and it's been one of those experiments that have really turned over um, a lot of you know towns and fishing communities in the state of Michigan tourism just in general for people to come here and fish for salmon it's been a huge success now you know there's always ups and downs and opinions just like with anything like a Mille situation with bag limits and uh you know stocking and natural reproduction what are the true numbers all that kind of stuff but so to answer that question, in theory, yes, it should be sustainable. Um, but again, that depends on the bait fish population. If anything, I would look at the bait fish population and what they're feeding on, and if those bait populations are sustainable, then the salmon should be fine. Yep,
2: I think that's a lot of problems with uh, lakes that have you know problem fish populations. It's a bait issue before it is the actual fish itself right. issue and i think a lot of times that's overlooked like Malax, was there a dip in fish sure whatever uh but i think that also was because of low bait numbers but did we look at that no we just went to fishing and all that other stuff so yeah yeah no it's it's and that's the tricky part there's so many no matter if it's deer fish turkeys bears hummingbirds whatever it's the outdoors. Nothing is static, and there's so many interwoven things beyond our control and things we can't even think about. Uh, that's what makes it tough, and that's why I'm not. I don't want to be in the DNR <laughs> right. ever making decisions. So,
1: yeah, I mean, salmon are super, for the most part, resilient. They've be, you know, they've overcome so much all throughout the world. So it's just, yeah, you're exactly right. It's not a salmon issue more than it is uh is it a bait issue yep. and um, ecosystem issue for him.
2: Yep. Cool. A good
1: question, though. Good question.
2: Yeah. Well, sir, I think uh I think we can wrap it up for now. We can save some to talk about uh I don't know on a different day. So
1: yeah, we gotta do this more often, man. You yeah. know, we've uh, I've been following you now since your 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 beginnings and it's you know it's been cool to see uh you know other fishing podcasts and all of us come together and uh, you know, you know, I talked about this before. It's kind of cool to see more and more fishing podcasts come come to light, and you know, it's it's a great way for all of us to continue learning each other's bodies of waters and different areas yep. of the country and things like that. So, uh yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me on. You've been doing a great job so far. I've really enjoyed your podcast.
2: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and uh, I've told people from the beginning, and I'll thank Patrick Patches Olson from the Lone Angler on this one, Lone Angler podcast. You know, he was the one that told me, hey collaborate 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 work with other podcasts it's not a competition It's the nice thing about podcasts you can download it listen to it whenever you have time to listen to that one so you can listen to mine then you can listen to yours and listen to Patrick's and listen to this one and listen to that one it's not like we're on the same time on the radio and you're okay who's on the commercial break now now switch back and forth and then you can't hear it again so right but no I appreciate it and uh anytime if you want to just let people know, do your, uh, do your thing. Let them know where to find you.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just on iTunes, uh, anywhere you can find podcasts, Spotify, Google play, anything like that. It's just called the freshwater bite podcast. Um, it's over. You can also visit uh, the website, freshwaterbitepodcast.com dot com Um, and, uh, head on over to the sportsman's nation to check that out as well. And, uh, please, please, please give us feedback. You know, I, I, that's one thing. DM me, ask me questions. If you're coming to Michigan, um, if there's any topics that you want to hear about on the podcast or a certain way uh, you know, there's something that you want to hear more about. Do not feel free. or I mean, please feel free to reach out and DM me and follow me on Instagram. So.
2: Yeah. Nobody ever gives us feedback. Are you listening? No. We don't know if you guys are listening. <laughs>
1: we know you're there because we can see your numbers. Yeah. But, but if we ask for feedback,
2: hell, that, could us be, DM us. that could be an automatic download anyway. So I don't know. Is anybody listening? Yeah, Tell. Cool. Yeah send us messages and tell them you tell us that you're listening so and remember for those of you that are watching this now i am not just a facebook live show just like lee i have audio out there as well i got 120 episodes or something so you got a lot of listening to do so yeah all righty well let's see (laughs) lori cool name freshwater bite so
1: man mom we know it's you thank you (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Tell her you love her. Come on, do it. Love you, mom. There you go. Uh, my buddy, Tony Dahlberg, feedback. I love you guys. Nice. Thanks. I appreciate that. Gr- Grant's here. He's like, Grant Patrick, here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thanks to Lee for coming on. And like I said at the beginning, I com- I actually forgot that uh, we talked about this at the end of the show, feedback. Feedback, feedback. We needed as podcasters to try to make the show much, much better. I know this. Uh, you know this podcast has been kind of. I don't know. Ever since this thing, whole thing, kind of happened with the COVID and everything, it's been really weird for me, and it's been a very strange uh, situation for me not to you know, be able to talk to somebody right in front of me, you know, and I know it's it's really thrown me off and, you know, I, I don't know. So I'm trying, trying my best, trying my best. So anywho, give me feedback on this show, the Make Fish Famous podcast, go download that one, subscribe and follow and check out the Facebook page and Instagram and all that good stuff. But uh, I think that's about it. Um, Oh yeah, hats, t-shirts, hoodies. Go ahead, check that out. You can either hit the shop now button on the Facebook page or head over to the website smackdownoutdoors.com and 10% of the profits will go to the minnesota fishing museum for the rest of the year i was doing a thing here where it was 50 percent of the profits in april uh but now we're back down to 10 percent of the profits for the rest of the year is going to the minnesota fishing museum so check that out please
1: well that was a lot of fun folks and i hope you guys like that interview of uh you know doug and i just kind of sitting back you know shooting the shit and uh we will be doing some collabs in the future with uh, each other, other podcasters and things like that. So stay tuned. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Remember, as Doug said there at the end, feedback, DM us, write us a message, let us know what is uh, what you think about the podcast, how it's going, any questions, topics that you guys want to hear more about remember to subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out podcasters tremendously more than you'll ever know. So that's absolutely free. And remember to follow me on Instagram at FreshwaterBite and check out the Facebook page, uh, Freshwater Bite Podcast over on Facebook as well. So thank you very much. But in the meantime, everyone stay safe. And as always, thank you for listening.